Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Session. Report to the chat room, pin and pat a hand. 
here early and beat the caravan. People storm in the gate to get a plate. Them lines packed like the happy land. Either open up with the latest cuts or them rat tools. The bump by the latest trucks from 9 to 11. We do it in the dark like we used to do it in the park for the most part. From the very second that the show starts, you witness and compose all, think both all cut. The love received so far has been so hard. There's a few dudes to run, but they would do as they sharp. Man, they so saw. Don't be thrown off any so law. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns? Press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are. This is Know The Ledge Radio, and you are now rocking with the best. Yes, indeed, this is your host, Brother Blue Pill. All right, very soon to be joined by my co-host, Brother Red. Give me one second, family. Go to the archive, the queue, see if the brother's here. Okay, okay, call it from the 347. Peace. Peace, 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 peace. Peace to the family, peace to the family. What's good? Peace. What's good with you, brother? All is well, man. Just here, you know, the building. Again, I asked that uh, if you can't hear me clearly, let me know. Okay, that's the same thing here. Yeah. If you, if I don't come out that audible, please let me know. Or if you don't come out at all. <laughs> there you go. Yes, indeed, right. yes, indeed, yes, indeed, family. All right, we are back in the building. Okay. This is technically the, uh, you know, the second show since the fourth season began. Fourth yeah. season kicked off, you know, live on Tuesday. If anybody missed that show, please check out the archive. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely, definitely worthy of your time your attention, okay? Monumental show with our brother Jose Pimiente Bay and the minister, Yazoo Bay. Yazoo? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Yazoo. Shout-outs to the brothers, both of them coming through and um, just offering the offering, you know what I'm saying? Monumental Monumental life altering information. Mm-hmm. I have some information that I would like to share with the family as promised pertaining to an appearance that our brother Jose Pimiente Bay will be making in LA this weekend, in particular tomorrow. I'm saying he'll be in the building tomorrow. 
So I just got to grab this info real quick, share it with the family, peace to the chat, let everybody get in, settle in. Tonight's monumental show as well. Okay? One second. All right. All right, all right. Okay, tomorrow, January 12th, 2013, at 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., all right, this is in Inglewood, California, on North La Brea, 817 North La Brea. The Victory Banquet Room will be hosting Dr. Jose Lee Pimiente Bay, Ph.D., okay? He will be speaking on the origins and the histories of the Moors. All right, family? Uh, and, and the subtitle of that is Nationality in the Link with Pre-Columbian America. Okay, so Sabir Productions and Restorers of Ma'at present Dr. Jose Pimiente Bay, right? The brother will be in Inglewood, California, tomorrow at 3 p.m. That's Pacific time, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., family. All right? And uh, I don't have a phone number in front of me that I could give you, but if you need further information on Facebook, you can holler at Karen McGee. That's M-C-G-E-E. Karen McGee is who you need to holler at to get the information pertaining to this monumental event on the West Coast. All right, family? So definitely uh, check that out. Also want to give a shout-out to the brother Sabir Bay doing big things with the Sabir Bay show. You know what I'm saying? That's a major look the brother had. Karis one come through. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, you can check it out, it's in the archives. No doubt. Shout out to the brother Sabir for doing good things. Big thanks. Absolutely. Big thanks. Yeah, that Karis you know? one broadcast. That he, that Karis one broadcast was uh my, that was monumental right there. Cause KRS was just going in. He was he was definitely uh, the teacher that we all know so well that night on the show. He was dropping a lot of information. So um, it's always a delight to see the legends, you know what I mean, still sharp, you know what I mean, still with their sharp sword and doing the damn thing. Oh, indeed. You know, that's the homie, you know what I'm saying? His sword is definitely going to remain sharp. So the family could go and check that out. You know what I mean? Um, of course, you know, shout out to KT the Arc Degree, who is now up to 22,000 downloads. Right? 22,000 downloads of Django Decoded. Wow. Definitely, man. definitely want to give a shout out to the Dr. Eileen Bay. Okay? Eileen Bay. And the brother D. Brad were on the show with another brother, I believe his name is Mike Pratt. Eileen um, Bay is Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Family. I also highly recommend, you know, that the family dig into his archive, check the brother out. He has 
a phenomenal archive of monumental shows. You already know where his intellect is at. He's all the way upstairs with it. Yeah. Please check that out. They did a decoding show as well, not only on, on Django, but they started tackling cartoons and things of that nature off the hook. You know what I'm saying? That show had information in it that, uh, you know, that Django Decoded didn't have. You know, some small things that were overlooked, but it's a full plate nonetheless. There's going to be other shows with even more information. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, family. If nothing else, you know, you can get this information. If not for yourself, it makes for good conversation around the water cooler. All right? Or, yeah, I got to check that out. Yes, sir. So check the, the brother, Dr. Eileen Bay. I believe you can go into blog talk and just put in Eileen Bay, and I will bring you to his shows, his episodes. Got a mean... So anything um, going on in the tri-state area that we should know about? Um, not that I am too aware of. They hibernating. What is this? Hibernation. Like how Congress goes on on um, vacation. What is this? A conscious vacation going on in the lecture circuit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they spending A-Rab money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so you're supposed to get your peanuts together. It's hibernation time. You know what I'm saying? They're following the laws of nature. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you can't find a lecture out here. So... If there's anything the family knows about, you know what I'm saying, if there's any uh, blow-over Kwanzaa events, Joy's getting laid into town or something. <laughs> <laughs> blow-over from Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa decoding. Any Kwanzaa decoding. You know what I'm Kwanzaa rescheduling, you know what I'm saying, like any joints that got postponed because the file train wasn't running. Yeah, they got a rain date. Please let us know. You know right. what I'm saying? The damn show. Some milk cartons in Harlem. Have you seen them? Tell me, have you seen them? Yeah. Wow. Crazy, babe. I know that King Simon does have, you know, got some stuff in the works. Coming up in the, in the, in the, in the uh, upcoming months. Yes, yes, yes. The brother has Booker T. Coleman, of course, coming in very shortly. Uh, I believe in February for quote unquote Black Black History Month. You know what I'm saying? If I'm if I'm uh, not mistaken. Okay. Uh, at Nick, Nicholas Brooklyn Bookstore, Sunday, January 27th, they have a disaster preparedness um, event coming up with Simon, Dr. Sakazulu, uh, his, his 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 queen, Empress Jamila, Dr. Makiba Judge, 
you know, they got something coming up for that. And February 17th, you know, Booker T. Coleman, otherwise known as Kaba Hiawata Kamini, all right, the brother from Hidden Colors 1 and 2 fame, he will be revisiting the legacy of Malcolm X, the man of the times. This is going down in Brooklyn, family. I uh, definitely want to check that out. And that's on the 17th of February. Um, I don't know if too much going on before that. You know? Yes, Again, sir. it might just be time to reflect. Reflect, recollect. No, I'm just agreeing. Just agreeing with you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, um, definitely want to acknowledge the fact that today is a new moon day. Okay. Shout out to the new moon. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to advise the family. And, you know, that's my fault. I should have definitely said something on Tuesday night show about getting your invocations in early, you know, at the offset of the wave. You know, surfers, you know, they they, they jump on the wave when the wave is coming in. They don't jump on it when it's already waving. But, Everyone is still welcome. I definitely have done my invocations on the new moon and after the new moon and, and have seen results. I'm not going to tell nobody to stop now. You know, it's preferable that you catch it two or three days before it. But here we are. You know, the need to invoke is still here. People still think still need to program their reality. People still need things. You know what I'm saying? So definitely get your invocations in if the family not know how to invoke, uh, you could definitely give us a holler, shoot us an email, um, inbox me, or you could go into our own notes uh, on, on Facebook, Paul Marlin. I got notes up in there, you know what I'm saying, dealing with the information. Family could get, uh, you know, abreast of what's going on in regards to how to go about that process. All right. Sir. So, what I did, before I do that, what time is uh, tonight's guest scheduled to come on? Okay. That gives me about 10 minutes to do what I need to do. And family, I'm going to best explain it like this. I was doing research not only for tonight's episode, but also, you know, for the new moon. So I came across an article that was very interesting. And as I'm reading the article, it started opening up my eyes and enlightening me to what I was really looking for. And what I was really looking for was, you know, a context to put tonight's conversation into. Because I read the majority of the book, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't want to just ask questions. I also wanted to add on. And the book always has you thinking, okay, you know, 
if we're living in this time or this quote-unquote age, where's our story? And why is the focus not on that? You know what I'm saying? And then you got December 21st, and a lot of people's minds, they feel that that was the, the changing of the God, the um, procession of the equinox, the switching of ages. You feel me? And with those, as the brother's book explains, comes the, uh, the, the telling of the timeless stories in a very original way. You feel what I'm saying? Yes. And that timeless story that he's talking about is the battle between Seth and Haru. And in his book, he illustrates through the ages, you know what I'm saying, and through the eons, how those stories change, and they apply specifically to the signs in which they found themselves in. So I'm doing this research, you know what I'm saying, and I'm like, okay, what's going on with the energy of this moon? But in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about, because I had a, a conversation uh, earlier this week with Lester Loving, and the brother has expressed that he needs to come back to the program because he's discovered some new information that he needs to share with the world pertaining to uh, some energy that was accessed on the 21st and the 22nd and things of that nature. Because a lot of people went to sleep and because they're quote-unquote worldly and then they feel nothing happened and that conversation is no longer worthy of being had. But there are things that happen. You know what I'm saying? There was portals were open. There was breakthroughs. People got information that they want to they want to share. So, you know, I'm thinking about that conversation that I had with the brother early in the week. You know, still looking for uh, a proper context to put certain things in. Right? Yes. Thinking about, you know, what the brother Yazoo came on the show the other night and said how he beautifully summed up, you know, the role that. We and the and KTL as a platform and the listeners as the audience have to play in these mystical, wonderful times. You know what I'm saying? We are still hurling through space. You feel me? You are here, not by chance, but for purpose. Everyone has the assignment. We are playing this thing out beautifully. You know, we are not in the seat to decode a movie if we don't have nothing to do with that movie. You feel me? Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about, you know, that as well. You know, like at what point does the coding have to become the script writing? Even though you're writing the script, you know, why not physically write the script? You feel what I'm saying? Yes. Especially when you have these energies on this planet, you know, that are, be, that are being channeled through these particular celestial events, these alignments or what have you. All of these planets are telling stories that can be personified into people. That's what Hollywood does. That's the magic in Hollywood. KT has showed you time over and time over and time over and time over again until the shit might get tired at some point, but I'll never get tired of that. So anyway, I'm doing knowledge, and I read this article, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I started doing some research, and I confirmed my suspicions. So I'm like, boom, I knew it was bigger all along than we thought it was. And tonight I'm going to decode this right here before we get into tonight's program. And it's going, it's going to be the perfect. Okay. They said that I'm fading in and out. I'm going to put it on speaker. And hopefully I'll okay. come. I'll let you know if, you, uh, if your sound begins to falter. All right. Please let me know because I got to get this one off. You heard? 
Okay. And this is not even to be challenged. This is the science of it all, family. All right? And um, I call this Leo DiCaprio. Okay? Okay. I'm with you. Now, from the articles that I read, I paraphrased some things. So there's some elements in the articles that I read, but the majority of what I wrote came from spirit. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not definitely, I ain't trying to uh, swagger jack the article. But I borrowed from some of what the article was saying. Um, I wrote the majority of this in the last 45 minutes, too, so please bear with me. It was it was a, a channel. It came through. Today's new moon is in the sign of Capricorn. An earth sign ruled by Saturn, the lord of karma. Capricorn governs physical structures and personal boundaries. The line that you don't cross and the foundation that you stand on to enforce that demarcation. Hence, last Tuesday's show, Standing on the Square, a show that inaugurated our fourth season on air. Further inspection of the characteristics of Capricorn revealed that this sign deals with the maturity process, growing up and out of individualism, which is about aggrandizing the self. Capricorn is the transcendence of ego, which is Leo, which is the sun, which is diametrically opposed to Saturn. Saturn is about the family, the community, the collective, while the sun is ultimately about the self-expression, promoting the individual. As I was reading about these qualities and how they manifest, I was suddenly reminded of a class of titans I recently witnessed that spoke of this ancient rivalry. It was this line that finally filled in the blank for me and projected a clear picture of what I had witnessed. And I quote, Saturn's natural home is the 10th house of public standing, using the life force to find your true place in the world to realize what it was that you were born to do in the world. In the back of my mind, all I could hear was Sarah Suit and Seti saying, I was born to do this. I don't know how to do nothing else. That's right. It clicked in my mind, so I thought that I would use this opportunity underneath this new moon to show the family how these heavenly bodies we call planets govern all affairs here on Earth. I get my own bombs ready for this one. All right, check this shit out. While we was all pointing fingers. This is how movies are scripted by the great architect. People kicked and screamed and said, here we are at the dawning of the new age, and the best that we can do is a debate. As if the creative force of the universe would ever let you down or find itself out of step with time, however fictitious or illusionary we deem it to be. The oldest story on the planet, the battle between Set the Capricorn, i.e. Saturn, the goat, and Haru, the sun, 
i.e. Leo, is exactly what we bore witness to. Mere days before the proverbial changing of the guard that we call the procession of the equinox. Let us examine. Sarah Sutton Seti, who would be the set figure in this narrative, is a Capricorn, born on January 4th. He rocks the goat's long goatee. He's the elder, and he repeatedly stressed the point right here on KTL, polite, I'm your elder. And God damn it, he named himself Seti. Right? And what does he rep? The red, black, and the green. Right? His persona is what? Fire, red. Polite, who's the Haru figure, rocks the eye of Haru on his left eye. He's the younger of the two, calls himself the young phenom. He's a Leo with a big ego, and he reps the blue. And he was forced to defend his father. Dr. York, who he calls Pop, who's currently held under the ground in Forest 80X Max, right? Is that not the Lord in the underworld? So we know when we see that brother, he's an Asaurian figure. They show him in the all-white, right? Dark skin. You know what I'm saying? Got the, the 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 black hair and what have you, wavy black hair. Okay. Uh-huh. Saturn, which is unrelenting and unbudging, is about teaching hard, cold lessons. The lead of Saturn is heavy and cold, and the weight that you would want to get from underneath by all means. But the beauty and opposites can be found by looking through the lens of the alchemist, because the transmutation of lead, Saturn brings you to the elusive goal, sun. This transmutation is gained through the vigors wrought by the maturation process, okay? So what was he trying to do with Polite, specifically on the show, more so before, you know, they got to debate? Um, Rice passage. Rice passage, you know, you need to mature, you know what I'm saying? You need to be brought into this particular rice passage so we can, uh, you know, iron out whatever wrinkles you have in terms of ego, and we can mature you, the, the maturation process. So the sun, right, Leo, polite, has always wanted Saturn, SETI, to see things its way, to travel its prescribed road to maturity, by, but Saturn is unwavering and unwilling to relent. Its walls are impenetrable. You can't move it. Right, so in this particular rendition of what we witnessed and what many people participated in, and they called it the great debate, it was the oldest story that we've ever seen the battle of Set and Haru. Now, depending on how people have taken sides and said who won and who lost, sets the course of this next paradigm that we go into. But in the ancient story, right, there was no winner. What did they have to do in order to see who won the fight? Huh? Are you there? Do you not know this story, bro?
what they had to do to see who was victorious in the particular battle, they had to go to court or the judges, all right? So who are the judges but those that come from the tribe of Dan, the judges, the Scorpios? And who were they judged by? They was judged by Teruti, okay? And who was Teruti but Mercury? And who's Mercury but Gemini? And who's Gemini but the twins? Okay, I see you. <laughs> to come to KTL to do the post-debate, you feel me? Did that change the sway of the public's perception about who won that particular class of the Titans? No. That's a question that remains to be answered. It's not to be answered right now. But I just want the family to see that these stories personify themselves on this earthly plane always. Always, and we shouldn't point fingers because we are all participating in one of the greatest stories that were ever told. It always has repeated itself through the cycles of time. So here we are, you know, and I want to uh, use that story to segue for tonight's guest because his book expertly tells of these stories and these processions. So the energy during these particular times of Capricorn, this particular new moon, is dealing with putting up those walls and drawing those lines in the sand and reevaluating, you know, all the walls that you've put up blocking you out from blessings or people that need to be in your circle, or do you have people in your circle that you need to put on the outside of your walls and draw that line? So that's what the process is about during this particular time. And the family should take the time to evaluate those things within their own minds and within their own space and place. You feel me? Definitely. I definitely feel you. Very interesting, and I needed to point that out, of course, because we are under the energy of those polarities, those particular planets at this particular time. And I see it so very clearly, you know what I mean? But I want to reach out to them brothers before I share the rest of what I found. Okay. All right. With no further ado, family, let me um, read tonight's introduction, and we can get directly into the program. Sure. Right. Join Northern Ledge Radio tonight as we welcome natural mystic slash crystal earth keeper Ross Ben to the program for this inaugural appearance. Ross Ben is the author of the phenomenal tome Rocks of Ages our new edition, and I quote, which chronicles the legacy of Anu. These primordial humans, the first ancestors of African humanity, were anything but primitive. On the contrary, these were the original pyramid builders, the scribes, the sages, the agriculturists, and engineers of antiquity. The Anu left an enormous legacy, much of it prophesizing and pointing to significant events un- unfolding in these times we are experiencing now. Ross explores the history, mystery, and prophecy of Africa's primordial ancestors and reveals powerful truths culminating in a new age dawning. KTL University admits another scholar into its prestigious ranks. Classes in session. Bring your pad and your pen. 
Ross Ben is gonna go in family. And with no further ado, call it from the two one five five one zero. Peace. Yes, I love and respect. Okay. Peace, I. Well, yes, I. Am I coming in clear? Very clear. You boy. Yes, I give thanks. Red pill, blue pill. Yes, I. Peace to the God. Yes, I. Yeah, man. That's true. The time, the time lined up for tonight. It's been a yes. minute. Yes, yes. Been yes. looking forward to it. You know. Well, we want to welcome you to this new cycle, this new fourth cycle of Know the Ledge. We uh, officially entered into our fourth cycle earlier mm. this week. So, you know, like they say, this is, you know, this is the best time to be here. You know what I mean? Your timing is definitely right. I'm glad that we are opening up the new fiscal with this new information that you're going to bring forth. I'm also glad that we are going to be introducing you to the audience, you know what I mean? And that monumental piece of uh, literature that you have there, the Rock of Ages, that everybody needs to have a copy of, you know what I mean, by the end of this weekend, hopefully. True, true. No doubt. Yeah, man. Well, I will, will, uh, you know, uh, just give a little background on myself and the works. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a... Humble brethren hailing out of uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, moved to Philadelphia, the indigenous capital of this sacred land, Lenape Hoking, which uh, has been my home since about 1992. And, uh, you know, it wasn't my intention, but just being obedient to the spirit, and and being obedient to ancestors took this charge of uh, informing myself and the community about uh, crystals and sacred stones and how they relate to our ancestors. And uh, that mission kind of brought me to writing a book that was originally called Rocks of Ages, Ancient Technologies for the New Millennium. And that that came out in uh, year 2000. I don't know uh, if y'all remember that grand stellium in Taurus that occurred May 5th in 2000, where there was about seven or eight planets all conjunct in Taurus. But that was the... uh, the astrological signature of the first book, you know, and and uh, you know I heard your reasoning earlier, which you know, very insightful, Bridget, and I appreciate love that. But uh, you know, Taurus is an Earth sign. It deals with uh, you know health and wealth is the sign of Osar, the bull of eternity, and. Uh, you know that that really was the, the 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 birth signature of the first book. You know uh, that resurrection of the earth energy for indigenous people. Uh, you know, um, and you know it came forth. And uh, I have to say, I think the the first edition of of Rocks of Ages, even though. Uh, it was on time, 
it was a little before its time, meaning it, it didn't really seem like those in the indigenous community were, were awake to the full reality and potential of the crystals and sacred stones. It was it, it was a period where I kind of had to inform my market and grow my market, you know, through my own efforts. But uh, by '05, uh, I was out of print and was feeling like, you know, let me come with a, a, a reprint. But then something else has started uh, taking people's awareness, and that was really the whole issue of time. And not just the fact that we were heading towards the 2012 and you had a whole lot of misinformation and disinformation about what that 2012 reality would be about, but just that even the nature of time was was changing. Time was accelerating, you know. The rat race pace was quickening. And uh, uh, our powers of manifestation were quickening as well. And this was a collective experience, and people wanted to know what, what what is this we were experiencing, you know? So all of that moved me to, well, hey, if I'm going to write this reprint, and the name of the book is Rocks of Ages, I focused on the rocks. Let me give more focus on the ages. So right. I focused on time. And what did our ancestors, you know, the first edition focused on what our ancestors deal with as far as crystals and sacred stones. The Anu edition said, well, hey, what our ancestors say about time and specifically about, you know, the prophecies about this time we're living in. And that's, uh, that's what the Rocks of Ages Anu edition is all about. And it actually came forth in 08. Uh, October of 08, it's got a, a Libra energy, uh, which uh, tells me, you know, that Ma'at, you know, it's about the reestablishment of Ma'at uh, in our communities and families and nation, you know, uh, and, and, and reestablishing that Ma'atic order even within our lives and aligning ourselves with space-time, you know. So... Uh, yeah, that's you know that's that's kind of a brief summation of 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 the energy the book was born out of, you know. Right, right. And you know, a lot of people are pretty much blown away by the uh, the amount of research that you put into the book. You know what I'm saying the amount of information. In the chronological order, the way in which you pretty much laid it out. Can you talk about that process? You know, who did your research entail? And well, to be honest, Reginald, I, I heard you reasoning on that earlier, where you know, you know, I, I call it raw search because, truth be told, uh, that information was revealed to me through communion and intercommunication, you know. Uh, and I was just being an obedient scribe. That's why I really say more so than being an author of the book. I was scribe, you know. 
where I would just be that obedient instrument of the ancestors and open to the revelations that they would share. But then on that same note, right, I know how I am as as a brethren. And if someone comes and says, yeah, this is channeled information or this is communed information, it's not going to hold the same level of credibility within myself as if someone actually did some documentation and some primary sources and some, you know, know, corroboration with other scholarly works on the topic. So I would take that communion as it was revealed to me, and then I would ground it in in my scholarly works, you know? And uh, that was really the process in which that information came forth. Yes, sir. And so, uh, am I still on? Yes, Yes, indeed. indeed. Okay. All right. So now, um, so so right. uh, It's the 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 work is called a new edition, A N U, and and why I named it that is because uh, most. I I would say most because I know you shouldn't speak in absolutes, but I would say most, if not all, of the uh, seeds of knowledge and wisdom that were planted by our ancestral elders, uh, they could all be traced back to what would be called our primordial ancestors or our ancestors of the first order. And they're known by many names. Within the Nile Valley of Kemet, they were known as the Anu. And they they planted seeds of culture and, and wisdom and sacred teachings around the planet. And when you see their cultural manifestations, at first they all seem like different cultural manifestations of one another. When you look past that external veil of of uh, different symbols, what you see is that uh, there's a amazing commonality of culture uh, that's shared by, by these uh, a new people and some of those similarities is these people were whether you find them in what's called Asia, Africa or the Americas they were pyramid builders either step mound or proper pyramids right these people were agriculturalists and uh you know put forth great science in 
you know, bringing forth agricultural fruits to to have what you would call a high society, you know, high social order. These people were uh, uh, hieroglyphic, you know, they, they wrote in what would be what we would call hieroglyphics or pictographic languages. They honored a divine nobility, the king of which, the king and queen of which represented the divine on earth. And and this uh, divine nobility had a priesthood that, uh, you know, codified a a moral way of living within that uh, social order. But the thing we focused on most that uh, you find among these new cultures are intricate calendar and timekeeping systems. And and that is, uh, I think, one of the most significant legacies of the Anu as it relates to this time we're living in, 2012, 23rd. Well, actually, yeah, right, we've moved, you know, uh, beyond 2012 into 2013. Because all of those ancient cultures had time systems that either culminated or peaked or cycled out around this time or had significant prophecies around this time. And that's right. that's really what we focused on within the a new edition. Right. In particular, can you speak on what the Dogon said about this time period and also for the family who may not know, I just want you to, you know, lay out the cosmology of the Dogon. Yes, I. Yes, I. <clears throat> well, yeah, we, we did show that the Dogon are, uh, you know, one of those seeded Anu cultures and that uh, they really wear like in Kemet, the great comedic star clock really focused on the movement of time. The Dogon priesthood and order seemed to really focus on preserving the science of space. Where are we in space? And, you know, how that relates, because really space-time is one related phenomenon. So you got to know what time it is to know where you are in space right. and vice versa. To know uh, where you are, you got to know what time it is. So the Dogon focused on where are we within space. And uh, we know the Dogon caught the eye of Europeans uh, because uh, the anthropologists that were studying with him were like, man, here's some brethren 
uh, in quote unquote sub Sahara Africa with quote unquote no access to technology, but these brethren have an elaborate knowledge of the Sirius star system and detail information about this star system that would be very difficult to obtain just with the naked eye. So like that's kind of the the uh we say mm, popular awareness related to the Dogon. But the thing is when you penetrate the Dogon's teachings as they're preserved in that book, The Pale Fox, and that is a significant book in terms of European anthropology because it was one of the first times a European anthropologist allowed the people to speak as clearly and plainly about their reality as possible without putting a European spin or interpretation on it. That is really significant about, that's, you know, one significant thing about the pale fox. But what's most significant about the pale fox is that when you really penetrate it, not only does the Dogon share deep knowledge about the serious star system and its nature, and specifically the fact, I'm sure most of those tuned in are aware that, right, when we see Sirius, there's a visible star there, but there's also a dark star, an invisible dark star that's a companion to the visible Sirius system. The Dogon had awareness of that. But not only did they have awareness of Sirius A and B, but they, they spell out the entire structure of our galaxy. Truth be told, the entire omniverse, universe, and our galaxy. And so, just to kind of summarize, what they tell us is that, um, you know, Alma, the one who we would know in Kemet as Amun, or, you know, Amen, in that Judeo-Christian tradition, that unseen creator. We kind of associate with the Most High, that omniscient, omnipotent uh, creator of the omniverse, you know? Omnipotent. Mm -hmm. Omnipotent, yes, I. That one being. That that one being centralized and focalized its awareness in a seed, the seed of all seeds, the seed of the seed of the seed of the seed. And this seed is actually the, uh, in terms of the nature of creation, it's, it's, the, it's the smallest, smallest thing in creation. And this seed was placed in the center of what we call a galaxy. And really what they're speaking about is what, you know, modern astrophysicists or modern scientists would call the black star, black hole that's at the core, the center of our galaxy, which even though it's the most voluminous body in our galaxy, you know, it it appears to be the largest, 
but because it's so compressed, so bent, so heavy, really in right. relation in proportion to, to the rest of creation. It's the smallest thing. Its gravitational force is so strong, not even light can escape it. That's why it's called a, you know, neuroscientists call it a black hole, but it's really a black star because it is radiating out energy. It's just that the energy that it radiates out is what we would call superluminal. It's faster than the speed of light. And it's the source of what Western astrophysicists have recently termed dark matter, dark energy. Where is all this stuff coming from? From the dark star at the center of our galaxy. Dogon knew all of that, all the nature of that as well. They call that awareness in the center of the galaxy, Ama. And, uh, you know, acknowledge that is this being that's really creating the structure and order of our entire galaxy. Now, our sun and our planetary system, we're rather far out from this galactic center. We're about 26,000 light years away from this galactic core. We're actually closer to the realm of what would be called outer darkness or the space outside of our galaxy than we are to the galactic core. And uh, there is a star system that is closer to the galactic core than we are, and the gravitational force of that star system is actually holding our solar system within that galactic order. And that's what the Sirius star system is. The Sirius star system is the second closest star system to our planetary system. It's only about eight light years away. 8.6 to be exact. And as far as uh, galactic space-time is concerned, that's considered, a, that's a neighbor. That's a stone's throw, you know, to only be eight light years away. What's even more significant, though, that even though it's the second closest star system, it's the closest star system that has a dark star. Okay? So now, the Dogon called the galactic core the Po. P-O, oh. the Po. Right. And that basically means, you know, that's, that's that seed. That's Amma's seed of creation. Okay? They call Sirius B, that dark star that I mentioned, that they had full awareness of, that Europeans only became aware of with, you know, electron telescopes. Uh, they call that star Po Tolo, which means star of the Po, or star that comes in the image of the Po, meaning it's a dwarf star, it's a black star, it's a super dense uh, stellar body that's very much like that black star at the center of our galaxy. So 
Potolo, Sirius B, is a star that was once the size of our star. But because it's in its elder years of starhood, it's actually shed a lot of its plasma body and it's collapsed in on itself. So imagine a star, the mass of our sun, the weight of our sun, that's been compressed into a space that equals about the size of planet Earth. That's what Potolo is. So it's a super heavy, super dense celestial body that because it's so heavy, its gravitational field influences the space around it significantly. So Potolo is the central sun of our sun. It's the planetary body that our sun orbits around. And Potolo then, you know, orbits around uh, the galactic core. And the Dogon spell all of this out in the Pale Fox with amazing uh, accuracy in terms of the astrophysics of it. But most people that penetrate the pale fox uh, you know they get caught up on the symbolism and and don't look to uh you know apply that astrophysical scientific interpretation of of what they're talking about you know and uh that's what we do attempt to penetrate within within the rocks of ages. So yes, I, that's that's um that's 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 the blessing that the Dogon left us, a clear understanding of where we are within our galaxy. Yes indeed. And uh uh-huh. and, and and yeah, and, and I, I know I kinda went in and that your initial question was well, what did the Dogon say about this time? Um no, no, another thing that I did well, want to ask well in regards to the Dogon is in the book you um, gave an interesting, um, you know, history of the Dogon and how they did wind up in Mali. Um, Can you briefly touch on that? Absolutely. Because uh, the Dogon, well, their their, uh, cosmology and their sacred teaching are almost identical to the teachings preserved from within the Nile Valley and specific, the specific town of what's called uh, Hermopolis, Greek, the Greek Hermopolis, which means city of Hermes or the city of Toth, the city of Tehuti. And that was the city of Anu. Uh, what what we what was known historically as Upper Anu, which uh, is also known as uh, Waset or Ipet Isut. This was the uh, city of teaching that was close to Thebes, and uh, or also known as Karnak 
uh, within within the Nile Valley. And we know that uh, starting around 700 B.C., the Nile Valley began experiencing invasions and incursions. And these invasions were from Eurasian nomads initially. It evolved into uh, actual nation states invading the Nile Valley with, uh, you know, uh, Babylon, Assyria, then, you know, Greece and Rome. But all of these major incursions were coming from the north and the east. So what that did was that forced the nobility and priesthood of the Nile Valley to flee to the south and the west and the fine river valleys similar to the Nile where they could recreate their their culture, you know, recreate the, the splendor of the Nile Valley. So that priesthood and nobility established uh, kingdoms in the Congo River Valley. They also established kingdoms in the Niger River Delta areas, and uh, that is what we that that reestablishment of uh, Tamari, which was you know the comedic their own name of their nation or land of the Virgin Tamari, land of Osset. They reestablished a kingdom in the Niger. Delta region, which they called Taganet, or the land of gold. And that is, uh, you know, that ancient empire we know of as Ghana. Uh, Taganet flourished for a number of years, but then uh, you had this issue of Arab-influenced Islam imposing itself on, you know, Taganet. And you had different priestly orders resisting uh, succumbing to Islam and giving up their ancient teachings and ancient cosmology. So these orders left the lush, fertile Niger Delta and moved up into these desert arid highlands in uh, what's, you know, modern Mali today. And that is really the, 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 you know, brief history on how the Dogon reached the area where you find them today. So that's not their original home. Their original home is uh, the Niger Delta region by way of the Nile Valley. And they are of that ancient comedic order that came out of the city of Tahuti, uh, also known as Anu, Upper Anu, 
and uh yeah that's that that's that's their historical roots and I will say real quick that they did have a specific message about this time. they right. said this time was going to be uh we were going to experience what was called Taba Tolo. And Tabatolo means the reuniting of the twin placentas. And uh, the best way that I can interpret the reuniting of the twin placentas is that we know most suns, most celestial, most stars in our galaxy are in binary star systems, just like Sirius. We're talking about Sirius. When you look at Sirius A, there's actually a dark star companion to it, you know. So when you see the one star, you're actually looking at two. Dogon actually say there's three stars up there, the third one being Emeyatolo, which is a star of the woman, which they say we will never, Western man will never be able to detect with his scientific instruments. So we just got to kind of have to go on their word that it's up there. Right. But uh, I actually think our star, our sun, has a binary twin, and it's going to be re- we're going to be reunited with it in this time. And so we hear a lot of discussion about Nibiru, and uh, you know that there's a a dark star with a planet on it that comes into our uh, our realm like every 3,600 years, you know. Right. So I think Tapatolo might be an allusion to that. And I'm, you know, I've, I've become a YouTubeologist, and I'm sure some of y'all brethren and sisters out there are YouTubeologists as well. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, video footage about a second sun yes. that's visible in our heavens, usually around sunrise or sunset, you know? Like the uh, the conditions have to be right to catch it. Yes, I've seen it. You've seen it, right. So I think Tabatolo, I think the Dogon were prophesizing the return of that second son with Tabatolo, the return of the twin placentas, the, you know, the, our son becoming right. part of a binary star system once again. In your book, you even explain why it would be referenced as placenta, you know, because when the family hears that, they might have a tendency to think of one thing when there is a cosmological reference and explanation as to why they were using that terminology. I don't know if you want to go into that. Well, just that I think I mentioned that they called the pole the seed, you know, the, the galactic core, uh, which is the seed of all seeds, you know, the, the star of all stars. They refer to the stars as seeds. And they refer to, uh, uh, you know, they they give all 
natural illusions, like, you know, kind of as above, so below. So they describe the celestial sphere uh, with realities we see here on Earth, you know. And they actually say that our sun is the placenta of what the Dogon call Ogo. We would know cosmologically as Set or, uh, you know, the uh, the rebel entity, the, the 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 entity that used free will against creation for whatever reasons that caused you know Amma to have to recreate creation to use that rebel's free will and intention intention as a part of creation. So. Uh, the Dogon say Ogo actually snatched, jumped out of its womb before it fully gestated and took its placenta and moved it from its original position and, cre- and, and took parts of its placenta to create a realm that uh, Ogo himself could kind of incarnate within and be self-willed. That's what they that's what they actually explain this planet Earth is. And uh, you know, so they say our sun is Ogo's placenta, and this Earth, planet Earth, is this realm of free will that Ogo carved out for himself. Uh, trying to be Amma himself, trying to be in that image of Amma, you know. And I'm sure we can hear the, the different parallels from other yeah. traditions, you know, like the whole rebel angel Lucifer, uh, the, the comedic set jumping out of his womb prematurely, yes. you know. So there's, there's a lot of parallels there. Uh, but what the Dogon also say is that uh, what Amma did to atone for that transgression was take one of his perfected beings and sacrificed that being and used the life force of that sacrificed being to restructure and reorder order and reorganize the creation uh, that have been transgressed by Ogo, to create like a new order in spite of that transgression. Almost like... Oh, go ahead. Almost like the blood of a Christ? Exactly. That's the exact allusion for that. And the celestial embodiment of that sacrifice being is Sirius A, who they call... uh, they call the Dogon call that star a couple of things, uh, but but in this image of this uh, celestial embodiment of this sacrifice and atonement, the star is called Baraka, and that's uh, again Sirius A, the visible star of Sirius, and. 
as above, so below. We know our <clears throat> what what does that mean for us? Uh where they say all right, I, I'm kinda of leaving out a little problem, build on this real quick. When so so what the Dogon say, they say, I'ma took that sacrifice bee and sprinkled its blood on Ogo's placenta, which is our sun, and our earth. And that celestial, that stellar life force, that ashe from the star Sirius, it manifested in this realm as three different things. One was fresh water. One was fresh water. Uh, the other is uh, aquatic mammals. So like whales, dolphins, you know, those beings. And the third were the primordial humans. Right. We, ourselves. Well, the primordial, the anew. The Hanu, exactly. So what does that mean <clears throat> for us? That blood, that plasma, that plasma in your blood, that's your life force, that's your ashe, as above, so below. It's the same plasma that came from the Sirius star system. All right, now you got to give me that. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Thanks for that. Wow. I mean, you know, even science makes clear references, and they try to tell you as much as they can that aquatic sea mammals are not from here. You know, they keep stressing that without offering an explanation. Yes. Yeah, and we're, and we're not from here. That's that's the biggest thing. So, and if I could build on that for a moment, please. Because when our elders, like Dr. Ben, and Asa Hilliard, and all those scholars that I honor and respect immensely, I respect their respect their works, but. They made. I feel like they made a, a a error in some of their interpretations. Where and, and specifically when uh, some research would come up that would suggest that the pyramid builders, the ancient Chemites, and you know, our ancients that was dealing with this real high science that yeah, it looked like they that yeah, it looked like they came from the heavens. These was these these cats had some extraterrestrial origins, right? Our elders would be like, you know, y'all wanna say anybody but Africans are responsible for this this uh legacy. So they would reject that. They would say, nah, there wasn't no extraterrestrial or, you know, uh, 
awareness outside of our earth that's responsible for this. It was our African ancestors. So they were thinking either or, but it's really both and. They are African ancestors, but our African ancestors have an extraterrestrial origin. And when we read the sacred teachings and sacred legacies, that's where they say they come from, you know? Now, I, I did hear Elder Kalindi Ayi. One time that Bergen, he, he blocked the sound that just it stuck with me. He said, you either come from a fallen angel or a risen monkey, a risen ape. It's up for you to find out what origin is is your root, and then you got to deal with that. So you know what that story of evolution of, you know, that they want to tell us that, right, we evolved from a monkey, that might be real for some. That might be real for some. But the Anu, yeah, we will be what they might call them fallen angels or them ones, them, them ones from the heavens that came down to the earth. And uh, the Dogon affirmed that because they say the first eight original humans came from the Sirius star system in a craft that was shaped like a step pyramid that was named the Korana, Ark of the Pure Earth. And they came here with some grains, uh, some some science that was actually encoded in the shape of the corona itself. And they came here with the express purpose of, what do you say, uh, harmonizing Ogo, balancing out Ogo, that, that one that has transgressed that free will entity that, you know, disrupted Amma's order. So uh, uh, that's uh, a little more insight in that Dogon cosmological root. This sounds like the illest script ever. (laughs) Yes, I. Wow. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, now, I want you to make a reference, you know, because a lot of people, when they hear Anu, even when they hear of the Dogon, they have two reference points. They think about the Nomo. Yes. Aquatic people. And when they hear of the Anu, they think of the Anunnaki. A lot of people who might be listening to the program and are not that familiar with the Anu, you know, this might be the first time they're hearing of that term, but they may be familiar with Anunnaki based Absolutely. on their interaction with cartoons or their studies into the Illuminati or who knows. Can yeah. you, um, you know, connect those dots? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because those are all references. The Nomo, Anu, Anunnaki. 
all references to the same beings, where the Anu, those primordial ancestors that I was speaking on, uh, they're called, like, like within symbolism and cosmology, they're looked at as what's called the fish men or the men of fish. And why that is is because I think they arrived uh, during an age of Pisces. So that might have been 26,000 years ago, might have been 52,000 years ago, might have been 104,000 years ago, you know. That um, that exact age in which of, of Pisces, and, you know, when I say that, I'm referring to that 26,000-year cycle the Earth goes through uh, where we, you know, have a different age approximately every 2,100 years. And, you know, like right now we're in the age of Pisces transitioning into Aquarius. Uh, but I think the Anu, Anunnaki, Nomo, because the Nomo are the celestial fish beings. Uh, the Anu are the fishmen of Kemet. The Anunnaki are uh, are often uh, referred to as like serpent kings or... Uh, uh, you know, serpent beings. But I, I think this it's still that analogous symbolism, you know, uh, analogous to these Anu. And uh, yeah, these, you know, again, this is what I'm speaking on. Our ancestors didn't say we came from a risen monkey, that we evolved out of primates. Our ancestors say we came here from the heavens and that our celestial ancestors uh, weren't exactly like this the human we know. Them had some, uh, how I kind of look at it, if you could, morph a human and a dolphin into one being. That's kind of like the Anu. You know? So that's like, um, just to give people a mental reference point, when they, uh, in the movie Hellboy, when he had the counterpart, you know, the... the yeah, the that's right. That fish dude that was super sharp, yeah. super psychic. Absolutely. Yes, that would be a good vision of of the new another another uh, vision in, in cinema. That movie, The Fifth Element, where okay. the being that brought that rock that they needed the blue was lady? like a, yeah, it was like a blue woman, human dolphin type being, you know. Yes, and she had the 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 rock of that fifth element within her body. And she sacrificed herself, right. you know, to bring that yeah. thing forth. So that's another vision of uh, of these beings, you know. Yeah, so the that's what God said is that they, that they themselves were going to return along with Tabatolo. So I think that's why Nibiru, like how the Anunnaki are associated with Nibiru, the return of Nibiru, 
Yes. That, uh, <clears throat> right, the Dogon say the Nomo are coming, are returning at the time of the Tapatolo, the reuniting of the twin placentas. Very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. Um, okay. So another uh, thing we did focus on, which I think is foundational science that we all should be aware of, is what we would call the comedic star clock, which is what we've inherited the the watered-down version of the day. That's what we call astrology. But most of our astrological science is rooted in what we would call the comedic star clock or the uh, uh, recording of the ages through the procession of the equinoxes. And what Western historians call polytheism uh, within the Nile Valley. You know, they say we represented God and all these different, you know, you got Amen, you got a ram-headed God, then you got a, a bull, and then you got these twins, Heru and Set, and you got this beetle, Kepara, right? You know, they say we had all these polytheistic manifestations of uh, how we expressed our theology. But the awareness of the comedic star clock tells us that we always recognize one God and one creator. But we know that this creator manifests in different space times, 12 different space times within our star clock. And what they call polytheism is really our monotheistic expression of God throughout these different ages. And it's a chronicling of our ages. And uh, with that awareness, we go far, well, we, you know, return, we Sankofa 26,000 years into comedic history, mystery, and prophecy and uh, show how they recorded the different ages. And, uh, you know, why that's relevant is because we have, we're right on the cusp of, of one of those changes of the ages coming out of the age of uh, Pisces or the age of uh, what would be in the Nile Valley to express that in terms of the comedic star clock the age of Ayasus, which is Heru, the waterborne savior. And so what they do, what, what they did within the comedic star clock, they always used the sign that the age was in as well as its opposing sign to come up with the themes for the cosmological expression. So, for example, Ayasus, the waterborne savior, which is Pisces, right? He was the fisherman of men. He uh, fed the masses with uh, fish and bread, you know. He walked on water. 
Pisces rules feet and you know, it's a water sign. Right? I'm at twelve disciples. Uh Pisces is the twelfth sign. But uh Ayasus was born of a virgin, Virgo. Sacrifice and service was his thing. He even worked on the Sabbath. Virgo's all about work and service. Right? Uh again he fed the masses with bread. Bread is uh uh the grain, you know. Virgo rules grain and and bread and, and you know, the fruits of, of agriculture, as well as wine, grapes, you know, grapes, that's a Virgo dynamic. So we got that, right? And uh I'll go I'm gonna go backward a little bit, but we uh before the age of Ayasus, we was in the age of Amun or the age of Aries, you know, because whereas humans go forward through the zodiac, the earth regresses. It, it goes backwards through the signs, you know. So when we was in that age of Aries, you see the cosmology that was prominent in the Nile Valley was the priesthood of Amun, or Amun-Ra, that ram-headed god. And you know, Amun was like, hey, I'm the only one. I'm the one. Have no other God before me. Because Aries, what? Aries is all about. Aries is all about me. You know, it's all about the one. But what was Amun up to? Establishing Ma'at, the scales of, of, of balance and truth and justice and order and reciprocity throughout creation. The opposing sign of Aries is Libra, you know? And we could see that this is the roots of the Old Testament because uh, Moses was the lawgiver. Libra deals with the law, the laws of man, where Sagittarius or Shu regulates the laws of uh, God and creation. Ma'at, Libra deals with the laws of man. So Moses was a lawgiver. He sacrificed the lamb. He chastised Israel for dealing with the golden calf because that was showing they was going back into the age prior to Aries, which was that of Taurus. Right. And this is a, and, and so I should put some time references around this. That age of Aries was about approximately 2000 B.C. to 0 A.D. Age of Pisces was zero A.D. to this where we're at right now, you know. Prior to Aries or Amun, we was in the age of Osar, the age of Taurus, from about 4,000 B.C. to 2,000 B.C. And Osar, uh, in the age of Osar, Osar was like, you know, the good king of the rich earth. He was the abundant king taught uh, everyone abundance through vegetarianism, agriculturalism, you know. And while he was king, the nation was fruitful and abundant. And that's everything Taurus deals with, living fully, the earth in its fullness, you know. Uh, The opposing sign of Taurus is Scorpio. 
She has set the uh, betrayer, right? Scorpio deals with betray and revenge and avenge and all of that. He murders Osar. Scorpio deals with death. And, uh, you know, Osar becomes the king of the underworld. Scorpio rules the underworld. And through a magical sex act, Scorpio rules sex and sexual organs. Asar is resurrected, and Scorpio deals with resurrection as well. So we see how those uh, themes of the signs spell out the cosmology for the age, right? So if we follow that, take that comedic star clock, and say, okay, well, what does that say about today? We're moving into the age of Aquarius, right? Aquarius is the water bearer. Whenever we look in the motifs for the water bearer, you see an indigenous woman holding water. And either that is an urn on her head or she's pouring forth water from an urn. And the opposing sign of Aquarius is Leo. So what that tells me is that a lion king is the avatar. According to the comedic star clock, the lion king is the avatar for the age of Aquarius. In other words, a lion king is to the age of Aquarius, uh, the water bearer as the Virgin Mary was to the age of Pisces, bringing forth the fish savior. And, uh, you know, we know who that Lion King is because he revealed himself in that image of that Lion King at his coronation, November 2nd, 1930. So that really shows the significance of his imperial majesty, Emperor Haile Selassie, and the Rastafari movement and Rastafari tradition. And, you know, that this thing is coming forth in alignment with the prophecy of the ancient comedic star clock that it's going to be a lion king bringing in this new age we're moving into. Am I still on, Bradger? Absolutely. All right. Yes, I. Yes, we're still here. You know, we've had. So guests. You know, that's some science that we we penetrate deeply in the book as well. You know. Right. Yes, I uh, wanted to say that we we've had guests on the program who have illustrated through you know the tracing and the trackings of the stars as well that. Quite possibly, we have already been in the age of Aquarius. Well, you know, when you talk about a cusp of a 2,000-year cycle, yes, right, that cusp is going to be where it's like, right, so like let's just talk it on a human scale for a moment, right? So for a human scale... 
within 360 days, excuse me, 365 days. A cusp from one side to the other is usually about four or five days, right? You know, so like, uh, right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pisces. I'm born February 23rd. It's born three days after the sun moved into Pisces. So you can kind of say I'm on the cusp of Aquarius and Pisces. So even though I'm a Pisces, I still got a little Aquarius influence on me, right? <clears throat> when you talk about the earth moving from one age to the other, uh, one day in hu- human uh, cusp is like, you know, a hundred or so years in Earth's movement. So we actually began seeing aspects of the age of Aquarius manifesting since about the 1600s. You know? Truth be told, this whole dispensation of what they would call America is an Aquarian reality. The quest for freedom which defines this whole nation's awareness. First Europeans seeking religious freedom, then I and I seeking physical freedom. <laughs> you know? This whole right. quest for freedom, that's an Aquarian reality. You know? Yeah. Right. Seeking and, as men- uh, oh, go ahead, Patrick. I said we still here seeking this mental freedom. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's still a quest, you know. And uh, but yeah, we we've been. I'm just using that as an example to say we've been seeing glimpses of this age coming forth for about 400 years, and we're still going to have legacies of the Piscean reality uh, for another 100 or 200 years, you know? Remnants of a bygone. You say what now? Remnants of a bygone era? Yeah. It's, you know, Pisces deals with belief and religion, right? Pope ain't just going to be like, damn, my priesthood is, you know, a bunch of pedophiles. Let's just bow out. He ain't, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to go out like that, man. We're going to have to deal with the legacy of the Vatican for a minute more. Right. And uh, this prison industrial complex, very Piscean. Pisces is all about uh, prisons and bondage, you know? They're not going to just... Then, you know, they say the conquering lion is going to break every chain, but, yeah, this, it's going to, you know, it's going to take time. This prison industrial complex is not going to just be like, yeah, we right, yeah. we, we were just trying to exploit y'all, Bretchen, and we know that this is a corrupt system, so we're going to cancel it. <laughs> now nah, we got we got to work through this thing, you know what I mean? So, right. The, the whole pharmaceutical, whole ph- that's a very Piscean thing. 
this whole pharmaceutical reality of using these synthetic drugs to mask symptoms and call it uh, I don't they don't they don't really say that they heal and I don't know what they call it treating you know right. yeah man that thing is a big business it ain't going to just roll over it's not going to just roll over so we got we have it's, some we have some legacies of the Piscean age that point that out oh go ahead brother now I just flashed this one off in my in my mind where I see the uh you know, with some who might be looking, you know, out of a distorted eye might see their version of the Lion King to be Barack Hussein Obama, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That's funny how, you know, what he holds up is a Piscean, you know what I'm saying, um, aspect. You know, his 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 mark, his legacy, it will be health care. Mm. But a very archaic form of health care, not you know, anything that's dealing with alternative medicine, not even a healthcare system that's being restructured and dealing with, you know, a, a biomedical healthcare system. And they got all of that stuff laid out, you know what I'm saying? He don't even want to take it there. His is very, a very old, archaic way of, you know, just line them up for Medicaid, you know what I'm saying? Hit them with these pills and that's that. Yes. You know, yeah, that's even very show how they're that willing to have this national discussion about guns and weapons, and you know they'll meet with the NRA and they'll meet with these people. And part of me, y'all, I'm not talking politics right now. I'm just pointing something out. Yeah, but he won't meet with Hollywood, right? Dealing with entertainment, as the brother points out, which is very Neptunian. You know what I'm saying? Right. True. True. They, yes. Definitely won't talk about you know, the, the medication, the psychotropics. He won't deal with, you know, anything that deals with the drug industry. Yes. You know what I'm and drugs also is Neptune. Absolutely. Altering of minds. So I find that very funny how, you know, the propped up Lion King is here mm. to maintain the Piscean order. Maintain those Piscean, yeah. That's very insightful, Bretchen. That's very insightful. Because you're right. If you want to, like, play it out astrologically, a lot of the things that uh, is on Obama's agenda is not necessarily advancing the Aquarian future, but maintaining the Piscean past, you know? And even Those his, old control structures. His composition of his cabinet, which they're calling, you know, the, uh, the, the, the white boy club, you know, that, to me, symbolically is the maintenance of a Piscean order because via the very election that he won, the perception, you know what I'm saying, the quote-unquote Aquarian perception that people have is we must be living in a new age because it's no longer, you know what I'm saying, an exclusive all-white club. You know, the Republicans, you feel me, they feel that that, that, that went out with them. So people right. were looking at the changing of times and the changing of a, a age, you know what I'm saying, a, a change of a paradigm. But yet, <laughs> there he go, like, oh, you know, let me make sure that you understand what's really hood. And he instituted what he instituted, 
you know, which has a very strong visual component in how people think and relate to where they're at. And then yeah. you have the movies, you know what I'm saying, really pushing you into a Piscean age where they all want to get people's mentality back to slavery. Mm. So. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, this, these things we're reasoning on, this is how this cusp of the ages plays itself out, you know. It's not going to just be a, a couple of day event, not even a couple of year event. This is hundreds of years this thing is going to play itself out in, you know, uh, where these Piscean institutions is going to slowly fade out and these these Aquarian uh, realities is going to, you know, slowly come forth. But now I will say there are the biggest shadow aspect of Aquarius we need to be aware of is uh, what they would call the impersonal controls of society. Meaning, right, Aquarius is all about uh, freedom on a level Right, meaning uh, there might not be no one right in your face saying you can't wear this, you can't do this. Right, you you'll have uh, the feeling of of freedom, but you know Aquarius rules society as a whole, and society's impact, impersonal impact on the individual. So what does that mean? How do we experience that? No one said, Ross Ben, go get an ATM bank card. No one told me to do that. But guess what? If I need, if I want to prosper here in this society, societal structure of Philadelphia, yeah, I need an ATM bank card. No one said, Ross Ben, go get a cell phone. You better go get a cell phone. But guess what? Make the moves I got to make. I spent got a cell phone. And I'm sure a lot of us are in that same vibe. You know what I'm saying? So the, that's, the, that's the impersonal controls of the Aquarian age. And that thing is an issue we have to look out for, especially when it gets to uh, oh, you don't have a, a barcode? Nobody's going to say, yo, red pill, blue pill, go get a barcode. Ross Ben, go get a barcode. But they're going to push society to that. You know? Right. And we can see they're, they, they're steadily doing that. They're pushing right. towards a cashless society. And then the networks, they're the ones that put you on. It's no longer the overseer. It's the one right next to you on the plantation. It's like, what you talking about? You don't got Instagram? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You don't have out. Facebook. Right. And all of them things. You, you ain't got that. So Exactly. That's I, the, that's, I see that. That's the, they enforce it for them because they yeah, make that's, it, you know, a social norm. Exactly. And they have a social network where they make you feel... You're outside of the circle. You're a loner if you're not part of the group. So the group exactly. thing is caused by the technological wheel 
Because they can sit back and just, you know, play chess. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that Orwellian future that they like to project in the media, that's, that's an Aquarian reality, you know. It's not a Piscean reality. That whole big brother uh, impersonal rule, you know, friendly uh, reign through just how you live. You know, they just got everything on lock. So that's a, a big issue humanity has to face as we move forward. It's not. This isn't a legacy of the past we have to let go. This is a reality of the future we have to face and make wise decisions around. And I do feel one, other, one thing about the Aquarian age is because it's the age of I know, the power of the mind is going to become uh, a big creator of our reality. So we we will have the power to create our reality by how we think and what we think. And so we can create uh, a society where we are connected and plugged in with everyone, but these those void of that whole impersonal control. You know, I do think that 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 is possible but we have to consciously create it, you know. I think that's one of our biggest bigger challenges facing us. And it might not be uh, we ourselves, but maybe our children that are really going to have to come face-to-face with them things, you know. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, sir. And I see them walking right to it. You know, no disrespect. And I'm, you know, I'm just saying that they've made it so fashionable, and they've allowed people to participate willingly, and give them illusion of control. So, it's just like, you know, it's no longer people fastening the blindfolds; it's them giving the blindfold to you, and you putting it on. Exactly. For the beat. Bebopping, you know what I'm saying? Or exactly. doing a thank you for it or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, because you mentioned those blindfolds, man. I see the youth of the day, man. They just, they're too plugged into the technology. Like, I'm on the train. I made mention of it before. People in suits coming from Wall Street, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, a woman might have a. a, a twin baby carriage with two children on her arm, dudes coming from doing construction, you know what I'm saying? You could tell they came from up north, you know, you know, do rag on and everything. You know what I'm saying? You got the uh you 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 got the uh you got the Barbies at one end of the car, you know what I'm saying? You got the hipsters over there, you feel me? Uh you got the comedic people right across from me what everyone got in common. Huh. A face is in a smartphone with a lower wow. lip angle. Some of them got their fingers moving fast across the screen because they're playing that game where you be slicing the um the fruits with your, with your fingers. Yeah. yeah. 
Everybody's plugged so in. It ain't it matter. They it ain't right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But everyone is engaged in the device. Yes. And, like, yeah, I man. just, you know, again, I'm not trying to, I'm just being observant, family. I ain't Absolutely. pointing that, but um, but Brendan, you the 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 uh, point you're making is just what I'm speaking of, right? Is it just what I'm speaking of that no one told, no one got in any one of them one's faces and said, "Yo, you got to get this, you got to use it, and you got to pay more attention to this than anything else." Ain't nobody telling that. They did that for their own free will. They was free to do it, and they did it, you know. So yeah, that's 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 a big issue we have that's facing us in our future, and maybe not us because we're like, we're grown up, and these things is just coming a part of our life. But the young people that are growing up with this is a reality. They're gonna have to make some serious decisions about what's really freedom, what it really is to be free. And can I be a, can I be free bound to this device, you know, or bound to this cashless card? Well, what I'm saying is that they now live in a structure where the context for freedom has been removed and it has been replaced with you know what freedom is? Freedom is consumerism. You mm. have the right to get what you want, when you want, how you want, and how many you want. That's freedom. Right. And they're like, you have the right to do that, my nigga. That's what your people fought and died for. Okay? Freedom. So, freedom stand on line for Jordans. It's my right. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, man, I will, I will segue into uh, one other a new culture, uh, if I can, and that would be the Mayan Olmec. Oh, please. Yeah, because that is right. That was, um, you know. They were the new culture that that popular media recognized the most as having some some prophecies and teachings around this time, and of course right. they hyped that thing out crazy with the you know culmination of the Olmec Mayan calendar, that movie 2012. When you study that movie, what you really see is uh, more than anything else they wanted you to fear this time. They wanted you to have fear as the primary emotion associated with this time. Damn near any natural disaster that could have occurred (laughs) occurred in that movie, you know, all simultaneous. But uh, Omek Maya, yeah, them had some real deep teachings about this time. And I can't even go into all of it. But I'm going to just t- touch on one, which is uh, 
what 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 they they would call this time that we were in the pinnacle of space time, meaning the uh, Omec Maya said that uh, time, the, the, the fabric of space time, has a shape, and that that shape is like a step pyramid, a step pyramid that has nine tiers or nine levels, right? And uh, each tier is exponentially smaller than the one that it rests on. And those exponents is based on the basic mathematics of the Mayan calendar, which is 13 times 20, which equals 260. So I should back up and say real quick that, right, the Olmec calendar is based on a 260 count and that it's a... galactic calendar uh, that has been calibrated to the human experience around that number 260. So it's a galactic calendar, and that 260 is a fractal of 26,000, which represents the 26,000 light years that our solar system is from the galactic core, which also represents the 26,000 years that is, you know, the procession of the equinox that corresponds to the comedic star clock that we were talking about earlier. But also 260 is the number of days of human gestation. So they built this calendar, this galactic calendar, that's a fractal of 26,000, corresponded to the human experience around this number 260, and they set it up such that why that 260 is significant. Because the day you're born in the Mayan calendar, more than likely, is also the day you were conceived. The energy of it represents the day you were conceived. So, you know, we're conceived, and then 260 days later, we're born. Right? Nine months. And uh, so that, 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 day, that day you were conceived and that you were born, it really speaks to your genetics. It really speaks to your DNA. And that is the, you know, the the general structure of the uh, Mayan calendar. So now, upon that, they built these exponential ages. So 13 times 20 to the seventh power. That's the first tier of that step pyramid. That's about a 16.4 billion year cycle. And that really goes all the way forward to, uh, you know, what they would call the beginning of creation, you know, Ra's first utterance or what, you know, Western scientists call the Big Bang. Each tier is exponentially smaller, Okay. without going through each of the ages, the seventh tier began about uh, 260 years ago, or around 1756. Right? And that kind of represented the... And you know what? Let me even back up a little bit because I forgot to mention the significance of each tier. I want you all to vision with me for a minute. 
red pill, you at the bottom of that pyramid. You're on that seventh tier. Blue pill, you're at the top of the pyramid, but y'all at the same corner. And we saying we want each of y'all to make a circuit around the pyramid, starting at the same time, right? So boom, we say start. Blue pill, bang, you're gonna finish your circuit exponentially quicker than red pill. Because red pill, you at the bottom of the pyramid. The base you gotta walk around is a lot larger than the level, the tier that blue pill gotta walk around at the top of the pyramid. Right? Yeah. That's where we are in space time. So each tier represents the amount of change that occurs within creation. The same amount of change occurs with each tier. It's just a quicker amount of time in which that change occurs, right? So without getting too deep into it, the seventh tier started in 1756, around the beginning of this dispensation we call America. You think about how much America has changed our relationship to time in terms of the inventions of in transportation and communication. Prior to America, it would take uh, months to go from Asia to Africa to America. Right? Once the plane came, bam, what once took months now takes hours. Communication. It used to take, you know, a very long time to get communication from one place on the planet to the other. Now it occurs almost instantaneously. And all the inventions that brought that about really is, you know, this dispensation we call United States or call, you know, this thing America, right? So that, again, that tier started around 1756. Year 2000, we entered the eighth tier. What happened around year 2000? The Internet really got uh, up and running, you know? So that even quickened time even more. You know, and uh, around 2000, time quickened even on a personal level, but this was when a rat race really began to get intense, where it began to feel like, man, if I don't really, really get my hustle on, there's not enough time in the day to get the things done I need to do, right? But then we also started experiencing something else seem like we would think something and feel something and then bang, that thing was manifesting synchronistically within our day. Is that something y'all began to experience too and people within your circle was experiencing? Absolutely. All right. Because, right, we were in this eighth tier. Right. And there's only nine tiers in the whole pyramid. We were in the eighth and the eighth tier of the step pyramid is space-time. So 
when we was in the seventh and sixth tier and right, we'd have to journal. Because we'd be meditating, we'd be praying, we'd be doing our spiritual works. You know, have a little vision. Yo. Yes. On that note right there, I'm gonna press the pause button because we are about to meditate at eleven eleven. So that roughly gives us about three or four minutes. I want the family to, you know, prepare and get themselves ready. We are, you know, we're about to go in. It's going to be, going to be a very deep and important meditation because you have revealed so much and you've taken our mentals back on a journey through time and back, you know, back into time and into the future. Get so, that. I just want us to take a very brief pause real quick. We're going to do our meditation at 11.11 and come back and continue. All right. Left off. Yes, I. Family, please, I want the family to um, get themselves relaxed for the family to know the routine. If anyone is in a room with light, if you could turn the lights off, you could also turn the computer screen off without cutting off the power computer. You could turn the screen off just to make where you're at pitch black. For the family that has soul gold drops on hand, now would be the time to get your drops. You could drop some drops underneath your tongue. You could drop some in your water supply. Why? Because the gold is going to activate the pineal gland, okay, which is going to help you not only with this meditation, but also when you go to sleep tonight with your lucid dreams. So you can actually go to some of those places I'm talking about. And it also is going to give you that sense, that sense of euphoria over your body where you could really tap in, you know what I'm saying, and receive the information that's downloaded. Um, find yourself somewhere where you're seated, preferably in a chair with your back straight, feet flat to the floor, right? Your palms located on your knee with your palms facing upwards to the ceiling. Index fingers touching, thumbs touching, forming a pyramid. Tip of the tongue touching the roof of the mouth. Eyes closed. Taking deep abdominal breaths through the nose. Exhaling out of the mouth. Okay, family. And we are going to be meditating to the sounds of, or the mantra for that matter, of Omni Patent Om, which stands for the jewel and the lotus, perfect balance between the masculine and the feminine principle family. Okay? And again, I'm not going to instruct what you do in your meditations. You can try to find your still point if you want to. You can visualize, you know, or just open yourself and receive what comes through. But focus on controlling your breathing more than anything. Deep abdominal breaths. We'll see you on the other side, family. Oh, oh, oh. 
So let me open up my brother's line real quick. Call it from the three four seven six five zero. Peace. Peace, peace. I'm here. Red, you with us? Yeah, I'm in the building. You can hear me? Oh, yes, indeed. Peace. All right, peace. Okay, family. Um, real quick announcement so we can get back into tonight's dissertation. Family that doesn't have the drops and want to get their hands on the drop, we still have 25% sale going on over at soulgoldbiz.com. That's S-O-L-E-G-O-L-D-B-I-Z.com. Okay, we also have sales on our mineralized, alkalized, ionized, crystallized water over at Ocean14Corp.com, family. Okay, please check us out. I was watching uh, the YouTube earlier today, and I came across some information they were dealing with statistics on the quote-unquote flu. And I see all the games they're playing in terms of, you know, telling people about flu shots and this, that, and the other. And the, the Sandra Gupta guy, he can't even keep a straight face on TV. Um, 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 knowing he's lying, okay? So please, family, before these medical establishments were dealing with antibiotics, they were using silver. Okay, we do have silver for you, monatomic silver, which is a million times smaller than the colloidal family. Please, we have it. We have it on sale, right? You can find that over at soulgoldbiz.com. Get the silver. Make sure that you have that on deck. You do not want to be in a situation where you come down with what they're calling the flu, yet they have 20-plus somewhat children have died from this. You don't want to be in a situation like that and you go into one of these emergency rooms, you don't got the proper carding or what have you because that's the game they're playing now. You know what I'm saying? Like the brother was talking about the chips. You know, right now the, the, the chip game they're playing is that medical card and insurance. You know, if you don't rank high enough, I'm saying you go to the bottom of the list, bottom of the pile. So you don't want to be in a situation like that where you asked out because, you know, you finally find out that you live in a class tier system and you're in the bottom of that tier. Make sure that you have some silver on deck so you can treat these symptoms when they come through your door. You hear the child coughing or you feel something yourself, tank it from the onset, all right? Don't get lined up. Like the brother said on the show before, you know, all that bad meat and all that bad food, the sandy and all of that, where do you think that went? Did people just voluntarily threw that out? They have entire industries where they sell that stuff to other places for pennies on a dollar. They got entire industries based on that. That's what China shit is about. So, you know, don't get caught up. I ain't check us out. Okay, family, um, I definitely want to continue where we left off. You were talking about the eighth tier. Yes. Yes. And, and right. Greg, so for about four minutes, i got to change my battery, but I'll be listening on the computer. Okay. No problem. So, right, right um, 
So right now we just had a meditation back in the day, which, you know, would be uh, prior to 2000. We would center our mind, pray, meditate, focus on the reality we wanted to create. We'd have to journal that thing because, you know, it might be a year, a couple years later, we reread our journal and then be like, wow, man, what I was meditating on two years ago, I've created that reality for myself now. I'm living this now. And I forgot all about it. It's a good thing I journaled it. But it's not like that in this season we're in right now. When we think and we feel, we pray, when we intend, when we meditate, the omniverse is so responsive. We get synchronistic, almost immediate feedback. And that's because... Right, up until April 5th, 2012, we were on that eighth tier. When we entered April 5th, 2012, we were on the ninth and final tier, the final 260 days before December 21st, 2012. So, yeah, them, them, from that time, why? The Omniverse was super responsive, even to the point where now, Right, what was the reason? Why did we have that lag time? Why was there a delay in what we would think and feel and then what would manifest? That was really some protection. Because if our heart isn't clean, you know, we got some toxic emotions in our heart. Our intentions isn't aligned with, you know, the purest integrity. Yeah, what we were thinking and what we create would hurt ourselves and others. So that's why there was a delay, but that delay was lifted. So that's why a lot of judgment was felt uh, the last half of 2012. I know myself and then even just my sphere <clears throat> witnessed a lot of people going through uh, personal judgments. And that was really an opportunity for us to clean up our heart and align our intentions as uh, best as we can, you know. And the Omniverse has given us that immediate feedback to let us know uh, where we were at with that. So now that we're on the other side, we, uh, you know, we at that pinnacle of space-time. Um, I still think we're in a zone that we can to that instantaneous, synchronistic creation of our reality. Uh, and hopefully, the final 260 days, we've cleaned up our our hearts and our intentions, you know. But that was really the, the biggest message associated with that Olmec Mayan calendar, uh, just giving us the, the structure of the fabric of space-time and, and explaining given us a cosmological foundation for what many of us were experiencing, which is that acceleration of time. You know, and that acceleration manifests in two ways, the feeling of the rat race pace quickening, but also our powers of manifestation quickening as well. And uh, it's really a glorious time to be alive because 
you know, not only do we have the opportunity to clean up our heart and mind, but yeah, we also got the opportunity to create the reality we want. And so prayer and meditation is important now more than ever. And the Mayan elders did say the faster time goes, the slower we must become. Meaning we have to build prayer and meditation time in to, you know, consciously intend and visualize and create our reality with upful emotions. Most powerful emotion we could have in this season, of course, is gratitude. With gratitude, we can only bring or attract to us things that we are, are thankful for. And so if you got anything other than love and gratitude in your heart, uh, symbolized by the ankh, them two together, love and gratitude is the ankh. That's where the thank, thank, thank. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the two emotions is uh, the key in this in this time to, to gain that personal empowerment to create the reality we want. So that was, uh, you know, the uh, other a new culture that we that we explored within the, the rocks of ages, you know. And I know you might be uh, changing your battery, Brethren. So I am going to just uh, make a next transition because something else we focused on in the book significantly that we haven't even touched on tonight is crystals. So I just want to mention real quick what are crystals and uh, you're right on you're right on point and you're right on time. All right, give thanks so that's, that's exactly where and how I wanted to segue into the crystals, into the stones. And you set right. it up perfectly by talking about the meditation and the mantras Yes, sir. The crystal healing, you know what I'm saying, which yes, goes sir. hand in hand. True that. So, uh, let me just give a brief reasoning on, on crystals and, and yes. what is, how I see what they are and what's our relationship to them. And we'll start by saying that this creation that we're in, this omniverse that we're in, the ultimate reality of it, when you study it, everything, everything in creation, everything in the omniverse is ultimately a vibrational frequency. Yes. I don't care if it's the densest form of matter, the highest frequency of gamma radiation traveling from a a distant star. Everything ultimately is a vibrational frequency. So, if, if if you have a material or if you have something that can harness, generate, manipulate, conduct, harmonize vibrations, you have a very powerful thing. So it seems like the almighty creator has created some things that in nature by themselves, just that the nature that they are, <clears throat> they have that power. They can generate, harness, manipulate, resonate with, conduct, harmonize, 
uh, a wide spectrum of vibrational energies. Okay? The first thing that's like that that I want to mention is chlorophyll. Mm -hmm. I want you to meditate on what chlorophyll is and does for a minute. Chlorophyll is a pigment. It's a color. It's a chemical color that gives its plant, you know, its green nature. And chlorophyll is a uh, substance that can take radiant energy or radiant vibrations from the sun, transform that into uh, food and nutrition for the plant, okay? And the process of transforming sunlight and the food for the plant involves a lot of those different uh, potentials that we just talked about, you know, harnessing, conducting, harmonizing, generating, transforming. Chlorophyll does all that with energy. Other material that does that by nature is our melanin. Chlorophyll is to the plant as melanin is to the human. So melanin, you know, can take energy from the sun, transform it into food and nutrition for the body. But melanin can also take uh, vibrations from our environment and transform it into information. So, you know, like when we walk up in a set and we don't, the vibes ain't right, spidey senses start tingling. It's like, hmm, what's up Mm -hmm. with this? What's happening is, is our melanin is picking up information in our environment that's translating that into, you know, like warning signals, you know, like, yo, hey. check this, okay? No, so, you, you, you preference it correctly. Our spider senses and for the family to have, you know, something to bounce off in terms of a reference point, they could think back to the last uh well, not the last Spider-Man, the Spider-Man before that, when they had Venom there in that movie, and when 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 us when uh Peter Parker came into contact with the the melanin in its purest form, okay, and the melanin calibrated itself to him, and he got swag and rhythm, you know, and he was able. To I believe here, you know, sense things a little bit better. His senses and everything kicked up. His spidey senses increased. Mm. Now he had the melanin, which you know has a galactic antenna. Exactly. Exactly. So now, the third material by nature that got them powers, the third one, the third primary one, is quartz crystal Mm. so melanin is to the plant excuse me chlorophyll is to the plant and melanin is to the human that quartz crystal is to the entire planet wow so the same thing melanin does for us the same thing chlorophyll does for plants the same thing quartz crystal 
does for the planet. And most of the powers that we experience with our melanin is inherent in quartz crystal. Babylon is well aware of it. And truth be told, all modern technology, all modern technology, all computing, telecommunications, all modern technology is based on that simple science I just shared with you. That the energy potential of quartz is really the same thing that our melanin possesses. That quartz just by its nature can harness, conduct, generate, transform, uh, a wide spectrum of vibrations simultaneously, you know, by its nature. And, uh, but now, this is the thing. This is the issue, though. We know when Babylon gets their hands on something, the first thing they want to do is denature it. Mm -hmm. They take something from nature that's a good thing and turn it into something dangerous. So the, yep. white, the white sugar, sugar cane, man, sugar cane is one of the highest sources of zinc. Sugar cane got a whole lot of iron in it, a whole lot of enzymes. Sugar cane is a great superfood, okay? But by the time they take the sugar cane, take the essence of it, call themselves refine it, right, which really means taking out all the nutrients, and they call it, they end up with that. They call that molasses. You end up with this uh, white crystallized sugar. That's a dangerous drug and poison. Mm-hmm. Same with the white flour. You know, whole grains. Whole grains are good. Whole grains are, you know, vital, vital. By the time you refine it, take out the hull and you know, all the nutrients, you end up with a dangerous substance. So it's the same with the crystals in their denatured form, cell phone, computer, you know, of any other gadget. The vibrations, the frequencies, the energy generated by those things are not healthy in the long run, you know. Those frequencies tend to jam up our cellular function tend to cause debilitating health conditions. So what do we need to counteract that? We need crystals in their natural state. We need crystals that are, uh, you know, retain their natural vibration, natural frequency to help reestablish our natural vibration and our natural frequency. So, I do go in on the science in the book. But when I'm reasoning on it, I like to keep it simple, you know. Right. And uh, that's, that's in a real simple explanation. That's why we should be dealing with crystals. Absolutely. Whew. Um. Sitting here with, with you know, 
looking at crystal I have right in front of me. It is a uh, very, very special crystal that I hold very dear to my heart. It was uh, given to me by an elder. And as I'm looking on on your page, I noticed that on your page it says that you are a keeper or holder of a very, very special crystal as well. Yes, I. I'm sitting right in front of it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, I. I think that um, you know, both of these particular uh, crystals that we're talking about have a correlating nature, um, mm. being that the crystal that I'm sitting in front of is an illustrial. Yes, I. An celestial quartz. And it's yes, one of I. the most beautiful formations I've seen in terms of a crystal. I had to, uh, you know, I had to accept it humbly, and I don't pretty much go anywhere without it. Yes, I. So I saw your celestial quartz on your site. It was you know, somewhat bigger than the one that I have, but it, it gave me a renewed purpose and reminded me as to what was told of me why I was gifted with this quartz to begin with. Yes, I... There's, there's a lot of work yeah. that you do with this quartz. Can you speak about the work that you do? Absolutely. Because uh, celestial quartz are one of my personal favorites. And I do feel that they are one of the most important crystals we and our community, you know, whatever you want to call our community, black, African, indigenous, whatever you want to call us, we need to be dealing with celestial quartz because this is the stone that awakens our DNA. And really I should even back up and say that celestials, they're really more than a crystal. Okay, because we know we're incarnating the four elements, right? We got earth, air, fire, water. We're incarnated. So we know it's possible to incarnate in the earth element. Well, imagine if you only incarnated in earth. That's what the celestial courts are. So the celestial courts are actually angels incarnating stones. They're more than just a crystal. They're a, they're a awareness. They're a they're a uh, angelic entity or an angelic force that is incarnated in the earth element. Okay, so they're actually our brethren and our brethren and sisters. Yes, but my my of course has a, a personality to itself. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And the celestial that I, I'm custodian of has a testament to that, has <clears throat> an undeniable face. So some crystals, you know, some folks be like, yeah, hey, look, you, you see the face in it, and, you know, you, you light hit it a certain way, you know, you can see it. This right. one 
You don't need no special light. It's it's a clear face, and not just a clear face, but a clear African face with locks, beard, mustache, eyes. You know, undeniable. Um, mm. And they're on a very they're here on a they're very mission oriented stones. They're not a stone I would recommend for someone who's not on purpose in their life or is not interested in being on purpose. They're on a mission And Their mission is to heal the planet One human at a time You know And Because we're the biggest thing Out of balance and out of order With our planet right now So And they do that by working on our DNA And awakening Within our DNA That which needs to be awakened To get us on our purpose and uh, align us with healing uh, ourselves and others. And I won't even speak on that a minute because Western, you know, in each cell of our body, there's three, on average, about three billion bits of information. Average human has at any time any given time, about 30,000 of those 3 billion bits of information, only about 30,000 are active on and being accessed in terms of information encoding the cell or what to do. Up until recently, Western science called the rest of that DNA junk DNA. Yes. It said it was leftover DNA from viruses and, you know, it was junk. It was just, now what is in us is junk unless it's junk food we eat. Ain't no junk, junk in us. What's those three billion bits of information? This is the analogy I like to use to get us to visualize. <clears throat> Imagine red pill, blue pill. Imagine your father was a gifted musician. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. You would be born with the genetic predisposition to be gifted in music. But you would have to have the experiences in life to awaken that disposition. You'd have to be given an instrument. You'd have to be exposed to music, get some type of lessons, formal or informal, as well as encouragement and support. All right. those things would awaken that disposition, that genetic predisposition. If you if your father was a talented musician but you didn't get that, that would be in you to be a gifted musician, but it would be dormant. It would be asleep. Mm-hmm. Well, it is that way, but not only with your father, but your grandfather, great-grandfather, mom, going, going all the way back to Adam, or whatever you want to call that first human. Yes, That's what those three billion bits of information is. And you need certain experiences to awaken that what's inside of you. To bring that point home, um, we we grew up in a musical household, and my father wasn't a musician, but he immersed us in music, namely jazz. So mm. we understood from youngsters the science of instruments 
and the fact that instruments were actually talking. Because we used to be like, where the words at? That ain't music. He's like, nah, they're speaking. You got to listen. So we forced ourselves to listen and hear that the instruments were actually talking. And, um, you know, from the youth, I always wanted to participate or contribute somehow to music. But I never found the time to, like, tap into the instruments or what have you. Now, my grandfather, not my father's father, but my mother's father, was the uh, first Calypso player out of um, St. Croix to, to hit it big. Um, he played the Apollo in the 50s and all of that. Mm. He actually, you know, traveled the world uh, under the name Prince, um, and he uh, actually, he became Farrakhan's teacher when Farrakhan was left the violin alone and started doing Calypso. He was the charmer, and he was under my grandfather's wing. Hmm. So about 05 or 06, I had an opportunity to be around my grandfather for a longer period of time, and he would tell us all of these stories, but he would repeatedly, repeatedly recite Calypso songs to us. Now, the way the Calypso songs play out, they're like almost poetry. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Flipping poems with the two cadence, you know, they're on the two beat, you know, which makes up the 4-4, which is hip-hop and bars. So by listening to him tell me stories and, and recite songs for the Mighty Sparrow, you know, and all of these older Calypso artists from Trinidad or what have you, it kind of steered me into writing or thinking rhythmically. So now my thoughts became in rhythmic patterns, and I was able to further what I had started in terms of writing poetry. So now I was able to exercise, you know, my, my always wanting to be a musician by pulling out what was dormant, that he was able to pretty much give me the confidence to f- pull forward. So, second, you know, and I did it in my late, I did it in my thirties, but it was like there's never no time period on what's gonna wake up in you and come out of you, especially if you know that it's in you. Yes, exactly, and so. Yes, it's the Elestials. It's working with the Elestials that taps us into that great wealth that's within us. Let's that that part of ourselves come out and be with us in the here and the now. And, uh, yeah, I think they're a very important stone for us to be dealing with. Now, we'll mention couple of other families of stones. I know time is, uh, I don't know what time it is, but I'm feeling that midnight hour is fast approaching. Yes, it's about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I'm going to mention some other stones that are really empowering for people of color because they help uh, energize our melanin. There's three key elements to healthy melanin. It's carbon, copper, and sulfur. 
So when we work with crystals outside of quartz that are built or, you know, structured around those elements, they tend to empower our melanin. And when we study the Nile Valley, when we look at Kemet and study their gemology, they worked a lot with the silica family, the quartz family, and these families of stones that I'm about to mention. So the, the, we'll start with the copper family. That seems to be uh, the Kemites uh, were very put a lot of importance to the copper family. Yes. It's malachite, yes. which is uh, copper oxide, azurite. Which is copper carbonate, so that's uh, that's got two of the three components of healthy melanin, copper and carbon. It's azurite, uh, turquoise, which is copper sulfate. So that's another stone with two other elements, two of the three. Uh, Chrysocolla, which is copper and silica. So that copper family very very important. It charges. And renews our melanin. And again, that's malachite, azurite, turquoise, chrysocolla. Yes. Okay. And you got the sulfur family. Sulfur uh, is the heat regulator. You know, you know how melanin helps us regulate our body temperature. So mm-hmm. it's the sulfur in there that that deals with that. The copper, copper does in the melanin what copper does out in everything else. It's the conductor. Conductor, right. And the charger. Sulfur, heat regulator, also a purifier and cleanser. Gives melanin the power to be like a self-cleansing oven. Heat up, burn off toxins, and, you know, keep it moving clean and fresh. So uh, primary stone... For a sulfur family, one is pyrite, and pure yeah. pyrite, pure. Pyrite means firestone. So here he's talking to, uh, to that heat principle. But that's uh, uh, iron and sulfur, iron sulfate. Uh, I mentioned turquoise. Turquoise is copper sulfate. So that's uh, uh, another sulfur stone. And... Uh, Again, those those are very important for helping us regulate our heat principle, our fire principle, as well as uh, keeping our melanin clean and purified. Real good for those, uh, you know how they say, uh, melanin binds with a lot of the different alkaloids like uh, coke, cocaine and heron and all them different things. So pyrite and turquoise, good stones to help detoxify from those things. Uh, The third family is the carbon family. And carbon is what gives melanin its color, you know. Uh, And I should even mention that. uh, Sorry, Bridget. The triple six The triple six, absolutely Carbon is the triple six But also uh, The preponderance of whatever element Is in your melanin is what gives it Gives you your color 
So if your car, if your melanin is primarily carbon, you are going to appear black. If your car, if your melanin is primarily copper, you're going to appear brown or copper colored. If your melanin is predominantly sulfur, you're going to appear golden hued, you know, or what do we say, the high yellow. So you can kind of look at yourself and know what element is preponderant in your melanin. But that carbon, right, triple six, carbon is the key organizing element of life. And carbon is what gives melanin the potential of all those things we talked about, being able to harness energy, transform uh, radiant energy into life force and nutrients and all those things. That's carbon. Can you you give me one second? Because I think we're going to go past the 12 o'clock mark. I just want to let the family know to continue with us, please call 347-637-2135. That's 347-637-2135. Please continue. Yes, sir. So some carbon stones. Uh, the feldspar family, which are carbon silicates. So that's moonstone. Labradorite. Moon's Labradorite? No, Feldspar. Feldspar. F E L D S P A R. And that's a family of crystals that are carbon silicates, combinations of carbon and silica in various proportions. So uh, a popular Feldspar is Moonstone. Right. Another uh, feldspar is labradorite. Labradorite is a very good stone for us to use right here in these times in terms of protection from the cell phone and computer vibes. Feldspar, uh, excuse me, labradorite really does seal up that aura and minimize our... uh, Minimize the influence of those external vibes on us and our health. Helps keep our cells, let, the cell, let our cells do their thing and let our melanin do its thing in spite of being in a sea of toxic vibrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, feldspar crystal is Numite. N U U M I T E. Relatively new stone comes out of Numa, Iceland, and uh, it's only been made available because the receding glaciers have exposed it, you know, from this global warming. But it's a a three billion year old stone, the carbon of which, you know, since it's a feldspar, it's a carbon silicate, the carbon of which is actually the fossilized remains of three billion year old microorganisms. So it's got a, you know, so it's a, or it is an organic stone. It's a stone that was once a living entity. Very powerful, very powerful. 
It's called New Night. New Might, N-U-U-M-I-T-E. Okay, M-I-T-E, correct. Yeah, kind of pricey, but it's worth it, you know? Okay. Yeah, and also the calcites. Calcium is, even though, right, obviously the name implies that it has calcium in it, but it's a calcium carbon stone. So it's okay. another stone to help with help us access that, access that carbon principle. Amber is a, a carbon-based stone. It's an organic stone. Most organic stones, most stones that were once living, like shells, fossils, okay. all of them right. are sources of carbon, carbon. too. Right. So all those three families, those are good stones to work with to keep our melanin firm. And we detail, we go in on all of that within our book, Rocks for Ages. Yes. And I will before just mention. Cut, yeah. Say what? Before, before the live feed cuts, you know, yeah. just in case people don't journey with us past the 12 a.m. mark, I do want you to uh, direct them as to where they can get this phenomenal, phenomenal book that we're talking That's about. A, we, we're on the same frequency, Gretchen. Yeah, I was just about Please. to mention my online presence. Is uh, Rospin.com or Rospin.net? Like my .net is is was a, a HTML site I built myself, but I recognize right we done right time moves so fast. Uh, my don't that don't don't work on phones. I've been people right. you know check my website on the phone and be like I can't see nothing, you know so. If you want to access it by phone, go to my .com site. And I am going to slowly phase my .net out. But uh, it has a lot of, like, good archived information that I've built over the years. And so I still got it up. But Rospin.com, uh, Rospin.net. I also do astrological consultations. Uh, I do carry crystals. I'm about to go to the largest gem and mineral show in the world, the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show, first two weeks of February. So heard about that. Later, latter part of February, I'm going to have new selection of the hot, you know, gems in. So you could, you know, stay tuned to my dot com site and see some of the treasures that I, I bring forth, you know. But I do have to say too, I'm not going to be able to. Uh, Stay with y'all past the midnight hour because uh, I do have to give a little devotion to the Royal Empress for the night completely oh, stayed out. Yes, you know? yes, yes, indeed. Yes. But, uh, yeah. yo, respect, I tell we, you, we, I, oh, go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Respect, you know what I'm saying? Respect for what you have offered us tonight. It's been monumental. Yes, I give thanks. And I, I just want to say, because, right, I, you know, I, I'm just beginning to penetrate that New York market. Uh, Sister Cofonia, I know you know yes. her, Sister Cofonia Ife. In the chat room, oh, shout out. Yes, indeed. Yes, I. She uh, uh, you know. opened up the New York portals for me, but uh, she invited me up to uh, the event where I first met y'all, brother. Indeed. I have to say, Y'all brothers carry a lot of light because when I saw y'all, I was like, man, 
I didn't even know what it was, but I said, man, there's something about them brethren, red pill, blue pill, there's something about them brethren. They got a lot of light on them. And I give thanks. That's that's why I even shared the book. God just said, man, give them brethren a book. Indeed. And I'm glad I was obedient because I see it even opened the door for the night. I'm thankful that I've been able to connect with y'all and look forward to building uh, with you more intensely in the future, you know? Yes, if you have any contact information for the family out there that might want to um, get in contact with you past the program, is there anything that you have to offer? Absolutely. Uh, contact. My cell number is uh, area code 215-510-3502. That's 215-510-3502. My uh, email address is Ross, R-A-S, at Rossben.net, R-A-S-B-E-N.net. And I'm also on Facebook under the name Rossben. So, uh, you know, those are, those are three uh, connects you can link me with. And uh, I, I do look forward to doing some presentations and workshops in the New York area in 2013. So I would uh, say, you know, stay posted for that. Absolutely. And I think Sister Kafunia is going to help me open them portals as well, you know? Oh, for sure. And if we could do anything as well, you know what I'm saying, we'll definitely um, pitch our hat in and see, you know, what could be made possible. But the family yes, is going to be on the lookout. We'll let them know, you know what I mean, that uh, you were on your way. And many, many, many more things to come. Yes, sir. I know. Uh, we appreciate the time that you have spent, the information that you have shared, your dedication to your life path. You know what I'm saying? May the ancestors definitely be pleased and applaud for your offerings. Yes, I give thanks, President, and keep you doing your uh, holy divine works as well, and we're going to build in the future. Absolutely. All right. One love. Peace, one love. One. All right. Yeah, I already know. Shouldn't even have to tell you what's coming next. You know the routine by now. All right, they're coming. Whoa. I think that one needs to be animated. Another uh, visual audio presentation that needs to get that remix. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, thanks. Yes, thanks. You know, I, I just gotta. I just got. I just need a few more of them stones on the list. You know, what I'm saying surprisingly, I got a lot of them joints. So. I, I just need a few more on the list, and I'm going to be good. Um, it, you know, these programs, the brother and, and Kafunia, Mache, that's definitely 
inspired me to get into this this game, you know, this jewelry thing, just to add my own artistic slant on it. So just getting the information and the science about it all is is reinvigorating. It's really food for my soul, you know what I'm saying? Really. I could do this all day. Matter of fact, you got my copy? Rock eight, bro. Oh, yeah. I'll get that back down. Yeah, I need that. But, um, you got some callers in the call queue. Okay. Think about two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the night is over, definitely go to the callers. Uh, thank you, callers, for joining us tonight and definitely, you know, uh, sitting in class for this presentation. Uh, hopefully, walked away with some wonderful information that you can apply to your everyday travels and whatnot. But the brother did give up a lot of applicable, real, real, you know, like those those rocks that he was talking about, you know what I'm saying, just the importance of the melanin, the importance of that chlorophyll, like there were so many jewels that was dropped tonight. Um, like I said, I, he was just paraphrasing like, really understand that he was truly just skimming off the top of that book that he has, The Rock of Ages. So do yourself a favor. It is a, um, it is a very interesting and compelling read. Uh, I was compelled not to put it down. So, yes. You know. Easy, smooth ride, family. You will not, you will want to find somewhere quiet with some quiet time to just finish that. It's, it's a journey to wait a brother was taking us on a journey, an audio journey tonight, you know, you have that book to play in your own mind for you to create your own imaginary landscape and really journey, like really take off and, and mm-hmm. just take the chains, you know what I'm saying, of this mundane, lame-ass story they got people boggled down with. Like this shit is so corny compared to the truth. So... No, real talk. If that's what you're looking for, and you're on a journey, you know what I'm saying, seeking that truth, you want that hit, you know what I'm saying, definitely look into that brother's book. It is everything that it appears to be that he's saying it is and more, you know, but make the journey personal. Go and get the book. And let it start unlocking things in you and inspiring you to dig deeper, reach further. But just to hold a vision in your mind, you know, like I have so many new visions in my mind based on that book. And they're all visions of strength. They're all reinvigorating. And I'm able to explain things so much more clearer in terms of this concept of creation and the cycles of time. But let me do this. Let me go and get our brother, resident um. Cosmo crack because I definitely know that he wanted to get in there and share some info. I want to let him come online real quick, put some things on record, and just get some of his assessments about some of the things that were being shared in regards to chronology of time. So call it from the 516-516-881. Peace. Peace, Lord. Peace, everybody. Peace. Love it. Um... It's a shame the brother had to go. 
You know, I was looking forward to discoursing with him on a few things. There are uh, uh, quite a few schools out here in the astrological circuit that um, look at us presently being in the age of Aquarius. I subscribe to that thought, you know, based upon the manifestations. But, um, you know, whether we are in Aquarius or uh, uh, about to enter upon the threshold, the order of the day is, you know, <laughs> setting things in order for the age of Aquarius, whether we at the end of Pisces or in Aquarius or not. Personally, uh, I'm of the mind that we've been in the age of Aquarius for 561 years, right? Um, you know, but that's not the issue. I wanted to um, make an announcement about uh, Sunday's show at 8 o'clock right here on Blog Talk Radio on the Abundance Network. We're doing a show about the origin of astrology in Africa, right? Fact or fiction. And... Um, that brother would have been very key. Hopefully I can get him to appear because of the astronomical knowledge that comes out of the Dogon. You know, the names for the planets reflect the, the characteristics that they carry even to this day. You know, so like, you know, the word uh, for, for, the, for, for Mars, when translated into English, had to do with menstrual blood, and Mars has everything to do with blood and, right. and being birthed through it, right. And, and, and coming through that uh, that fluid into its manifestation. So the, the Dogon have a, a body of knowledge and uh, that they brought with them out of Egypt and even more proof that astrology existed in Africa proper, you know, long before the westernization of civilization. So uh, our show is going to deal a little bit with that on, on Sunday. So people come on out and, and hear us demonstrate um, what we what we debunk its origins being in the Middle East and in India, you know, we can show and prove, all right? And y- y'all don't want to miss oh, that. Yeah. Definitely yeah, reach I'll, out to the brother, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm almost certain that he will want to participate. Yeah, I did reach out to him. As soon as he dropped his Facebook, <laughs> I put it in his inbox and I hit his email, so hopefully he'll get back with me. I also want to announce the fact that we're holding Saturn Day, Saturday classes, the last three Saturdays of every month, all right? We're teaching cosmophysics, the knowledge itself, how you how you have a tie to the solar system and how you can bring it up to a practical application, all right? Um, you would call me to enroll in the classes, all right, and to get the details. My number is 516-881-6992. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you heard earlier when I um pretty much laid out my case for what it is that we witnessed uh, last December, and you know the evidence that, that I have this pretty much. Hmm? That 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 energy that you read and that we observed at the end of last year. Yeah, it is still it is still manifesting right now that opposition um that uh, uh from that from that eclipse and the fact that the sun and Saturn are dwelling right now in the sign of severity in Scorpio you know yeah, that that this uh dissertation you gave on that was lovely you know because Saturn and the sun are uh 
astrologically, figuratively speaking, they indicate the opposites of ego development and self-development as well as the development of the spirit. And, and um, you know, one rep serves to check the other. So the, the hero should battle is a definite uh, decoding, <laughs> encoding, pardon me, of, of that energy and how it works in our consciousness. You know, um, our our consciousness evolves with the uh, with the motion of the solar system. You know, in fact, our thoughts are made up of the very planetary frequencies that go around us. Which is why when we enter our rest state or our meditative state, and we slow that vibration down, we're able to transcend what goes on here on the physical plane. You know. Because we slow down our vibration to catch the same planetary vibrations that vibrate on, at, at 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 a higher level than than this very Earth, you know, in our atmosphere. And through tapping into these energies is how we're able to even dream. Now, just imagine when you harness these things by way of practice and meditation, by way of purposeful right. execution of your will, how to tap right. into these things and what can be revealed to you. Let me share this with the family just to give the family an idea of where they can travel, how fast they can travel, how effectively travel is. They were able to um, quantify the speed of consciousness, okay? And they were saying that consciousness, all right, from the sun to earth, which is 93 million miles, they're saying it takes one three hundred and seventy three-thirds of a second for your consciousness to travel from Earth to the sun. Now, it takes eight minutes for light to travel from sun to Earth, okay? Consciousness emanating from your second chakra takes 37.7 billion, it travels 34.7 billion miles per second, and that's the speed of light squared, okay? And, um, to get to the 80s, which is 440 light years away, they're saying that the consciousness will take one quarter of a second. And Pleiades is, again, 440 light years away, which pretty much could be calculated to about 258 quadrillion miles. So consciousness, all right, family, what you are thinking, your thoughts are so impactful on this universe, they are penetrating lengths of which you could probably not conceive instantaneously. But when you're in that dream state, you know what I'm saying? If you're going in, I mean, do we really have any idea of where we're going, how far we can actually get? So please do not downplay your abilities as a superconductor. Like really, really understand where your place is at in this universe, powers that you have, and how important the thought is. Yeah, indeed, we um we understand that everything in the universe is made up of 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 sub of further the either higher or lower breakdowns of what we see in the universe. 
you know, depending on the vibratory frequency. And uh, that being the composition of our very own selves, we have to take into consideration consciousness as an energy that it permeates the universe as well as it permeates your own personal universe, right? Your consciousness uh, extends beyond your physique. All right? It's like being in a boat. Let's take the example of being uh, on the ocean, all right, uh, in a boat. In every direction, you see horizon, you see water. But the measure of that horizon is approximately seven miles. It's one-tenth of a degree of, of terra circumference, of, of the circumference of the earth. So we can see in one direction, that's consciousness being spread is physically a, a physical marker because if there was a boat coming over that horizon, you could definitely see it, even seven miles away. You are conscious of it. You are there. If that boat was to be destroyed or exploded, you would see that and you would understand the, the magnitude of that, even not being within inches of it, being about seven miles from it. You are still conscious of it. You are still there. It still affects your your evolution, and your conscious state. So you have to think that we also vibe outside of our own physical measured diameters. But that diameter is much wider than your physique. So if you go into your meditation with that mind, right. then you can orient yourself. You can orient yourself and decide where in the universe you want to go, you know. This exactly. is how remote viewing is possible. It isn't that a person leaves their body and goes to China and looks and sees what's happening in China, and if they tap into that vibratory frequency that allows them to see what is going on in China right from where they are in their physical forms. It is your capacity to extend beyond your physique manifests itself involuntarily every time you dream. Mm-hmm. Every time you go to sleep and dream, the, the the key to meditational practice is to tune into those planetary vibrations without being in your subconscious mind state, doing it consciously through the execution of your will. And where some people would call this rising above your planetary chart, I, I call it getting in tune with it at its highest level of frequency, which, you know, I'm of the mind, you can't get rid of it any more than you can get rid of your physique and still perform physical acts. So on every level, there's an energy that we are using in this existence to do it by what better means by which to uh, identify them other than cosmophysics or astrology. And and what better means to uh, uh, evolve yourself or to use those energies as they arrive in peak, at, at peak strength, you know, and that's what we're dealing with in cosmophysics. And and uh, I just wanted to extend that. The ages um, with regards to the, uh, the evolution of man, we can trail them back to, uh, let's say, the age of cancer, all right, where we, where we have archaeological proofs to support. What we're what we're what we're getting into, all right? In the age of Cancer, uh, which was about nine thousand BC, all right, we find traces all over the Earth of water being where dry land had been, and where, 
and, and dry land, consequently, where water was. So there was a great water shift, and cancer is a water sign. So we can use these things to mark not only the, the conscious evolution of humanity, but also the uh, archaeological state or, or anthropological state of, of, of civilization or culture that we were living in. Now, it, it is at this time that we look at uh, or we find the first remnants of homes being built out of the resources of the earth. Cancer is the sign of domesticity, and it is this, uh, this is when we first started to domesticate animals, all right? After the age of cancer, we moved into the age of Gemini, and we find archaeological evidence to support the fact that human consciousness moved towards those things that what Gemini represent, which is communication and literary and literacy and drawing and writing and recording thoughts uh, uh, through symbol. All of that is Gemini energy. You see, and we started to gravitate towards that because at this time we find our first writings. We find our first cave drawings, first paintings, and first form of, of, of languages recorded on bone and on stone. By the end of the age of Gemini, we had been putting it on to preparing. We developed the uses of paper and pen, you see. And after that age... We moved into the age of Taurus where, where uh, domestic, uh, domestication of cattle and commerce and building out of the earth's natural resources and farming and agriculture and herbology reaches peaks, all right? By the age of the end of the age of Taurus, it had moved to the age of Aries, which is the age of war. And at this time, the Europeans were being awoken from their slumber, you see, and or, or, or this is when they came out of the caves. And this is why they are referred to as the Aryan race, you see, and why they refer to the people of Kemet as the Taurian race, as the Taurian age. The brother pointed to the, the, the shifting from the age of Taurus to the age of Aries as it is written in the Bible in the story of Moses when it transferred from the offering of the bull or the, or the worship of the golden calf, which is the sun in Taurus, gold being the sun, and, and, and Taurus being the sign of manifestation for the processional point, for the vernal point at that time. Right. And the deities that we use carried the astrological symbolism of that age. So during the age of cancer was Khafura or, or Kephra, the, the scarab beetle, who rolls his home backwards, his dung hole. I mean, his, his dung heap backwards and, and it rolls it in a ball and rolls it backwards as the sun in his yearly course, not his processional course, but in his yearly course reaches the most northern uh, 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 um, declination in the sky and then it starts to go back. The daylight hours begin to increase and it starts to move back south. And this was why the Kapura beetle was used to symbolize that motion, to symbolize that vital force a flux of solar energy in the earth during that time of year as well, all right? And we will see that following the symbolism uh, from Cancer to Gemini to Taurus to Aries, in Aries, the world, civilization, 
in, at, 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 his, at, his, at, his, at his current state during that time, all right, uh, which was just before 770 B.C. and 2,000 years before that, 2,160 years before that, to be accurate, all right, that, that man's consciousness had developed to the state of war. This is how empires were built. Empires were no longer built by sharing natural resources, by sharing crops, as they were in the age of Troy. Civilizations were no longer established on on diplomacy and communication. uh, Like in the age of Virgo, which is cereals, we domesticated wheat, and we learned how to take it from growing wild and make it so that we can cultivate it. And, and, And we started using more cereals, and 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 we started to weave uh, 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 clothing out of the plants that we grew from the earth, as opposed to wearing animal skins, which was what the age of Virgo was about. Okay, now I, I jumped back, yo. I jumped, I stepped out of chronological order, you know. In, if in any event you didn't realize that, okay. In the age of Leo, we harnessed solar energy, and our symbol became the sun, and we built the Sphinx and the pyramids all around this earth. Okay. Where civilizations we see when we call them the Aztec pyramids or the the, the Egyptian pyramids, those people inherited those monuments from a much more ancient and elderly race. These things have been there since the age of Leo. These pyramids, okay, and we can tell because. Their mathematical symbol, their mathematical position on the earth is precisely traceable to this formula, the precessional formula, where 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 the poles move through the zodiac one degree every 72 years. There's an even greater cycle called a Mahayuga that the Hindus use, you know, that is, is, is 432,000 years for this particular age that we're in now. They're talking about how the poles of the earth shift around the entire planet. Now, I know that's taking you, that takes you for relief. Let me, let me break that down. The poles point towards the sign of the zodiac for 2,160 years. That circle is formed, that's one-twelfth of that circle. The entire circle that that measures, that the precession measures, is 25,920 years. But there's an even greater cycle for the pole that causes the poles to move over the entire surface of the face of this earth. In other words, right now we have the North Pole up uh, north of Greenland, about 700 miles north of, of Greenland, uh, uh, um, and at the South Pole. But we have evidence that the poles shift over the face of the earth one degree, which would be 69.15 miles. In 7,200 years, so that it takes to go around the entire planet 2,592,000 years. And we can measure this accurately in terms of mileage from the equator where it is now situated to the North Pole, which is 90 degrees, which would be 680,400 years, or 684,000 years, pardon me. But... When we look at when we look at those numbers and they seem so astronomical, we can come down to the to the twentieth uh, parallel in Africa, all right, which is about uh, 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 the the source of the Nile 
all right, which is Central Africa, let's put it like that. And we find walrus bones, fossils, there. And we find polar bear bones, fossils, there, in Central Africa. And in the Americas, we find uh, 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 seahorse fossils in the Rocky Mountains and in the Arizona desert. In 1957, Shell Corporation drilled in the Atlantic, and they found fossils and and residuals and deposits of freshwater plants that could only grow on dry land at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. So the proof that the Earth shifts and the North Pole shifts is there. When we use carbon dating and we look at the uh, 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 Paleocene era and, and, and these Stone Ages that they refer to. We can see how at one time the North Pole existed in North Africa, central to North Africa. So now the poles are more than 80 degrees from, from where they were. Pardon me, um, not more than 80 degrees, about approximately 80 to 75 degrees from where they were at that time. We can multiply those miles. We can divide those miles into 69.15 to get the degrees, which is about 75 to 80 degrees. We can multiply that by 7,200 years and see exactly how the evolution of the planet manifests itself. You see? The evolution of the planet is a direct indicator of the evolution of civilization because we live on the planet, Right. You know? So the, these things are used to not only date the the growth and development of human consciousness, but also the state of of of, of weather and balance and uh, living conditions on the planet. And from that macrocosmic application, it spirals, it evolves, it subcycles all the way down to the human organism, where one might consider how how complex that idea is, it is as simple as observing your own personal rhythm, your own personal life rhythm manifests in a one to four ratio you know we 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 breathe one breath per on average every time we uh, uh, our, our heart beats four times, so four heartbeats equal one breath. Mm-hmm. It's when it's when we look at the motion of the earth and see that its natural rhythm moves in the same mathematical ratio. The earth spins just over 360 degrees per day, which is 24 hours that it moves about 360 degrees. That's 1,440 minutes. <clears throat> if you divide 360 or 361, if you divide 1,440 by 360 or 361, you get about 3.9 or 4. Just like you have a four heartbeats per, per breath, you have four minutes per degree. That timing mechanism that, that governs all life right here on this biosphere, on this planet, you include it. It is that mathematical key reverberates and repeats itself even in the po- to the point that we exist in one season out of the four seasons. So this right. planetary vibration manifests itself physically right there with your own breath. If you look at 
the, the fact that Mercury takes 88 days to revolve around the sun from, from Earth. It's about 90-something days. That is one-fourth of the entire cycle. Then we got the number one and four again in terms of life vibration. We are one, the will, the spirit, the consciousness, which is one, in four, which are the four elements, fire, earth, air, and water. This manifests itself repetitiously, you know. So the, these things are being put forth only to to show the, the, the layman as well as those who are aware the mathematical synchronicity between the human form and the entire planet Earth. The individual human form of type planet Earth. And you must now understand that that vibratory frequency permeates the entire universe. It's not restricted to your own physical form and the planet Earth itself. That other planets also have that one in four ratio. And that one in four ratio, when, it, when, it's, when it's spread out, is the same as slowing your breath down to four breaths a minute. You inhale for eight and eight and a half seconds. You exhale for eight and a half seconds. You know to get that approximate, you know, uh, uh, four breaths per minute to uh, seven and a half seconds. Pardon me, so that you can slow down your mental vibration through the intake of oxygen by slowing down your own personal vibratory rate, which on average is four four heartbeats per one breath. Well, you could slow it down now to where you are breathing one heartbeat or two heartbeats per breath. You slow your breath, your rate of breathing. You're actually raising your vibration by lowering your physical vibration. You're raising your mental vibration, you know. And and, and these things are necessary for uh, your enlightenment when it comes to evolving to your higher frequency, to your higher levels of awareness or conscious being. It is not... Um, while you are out of breath and physically active and breathing at the rate of 10 breaths per, per, per minute, you know, you, I mean, faster than that. 10 breaths faster per minute than you normally breathe, which is 18 breaths per minute, okay? You, you're out of breath. <laughs> at this point, you're so oxidated that you become, you, you become grounded in your physical being. It is while you are slow and calm and able to feed that vibration the proper uh, dosage of oxygen that it is able to raise itself and, and, and to excel and open up your mental frame. You know, I just wanted to leave y'all with that note, man, basically. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was a show. Okay. I I wanted to add something else, too, all right? Um, we talked about the eclipse a few months ago. I want y'all to understand that uh, that energy is still unraveling itself. And and to give you an example of how unconscious directed energy, planetary energy can be harmful, you know, because it is not being purposefully uh, uh, um, and intentionally directed towards a good end. Just let, It is just left to run rampant, all right? When the eclipse occurred in October, pardon me, in November, Mars and Pluto conjuncted the very same day uh, of the lunar eclipse. But the, the first eclipse ran over a position of Mars and Pluto, and that position of Mars and Pluto is an indicator of violent death. Okay, it can also be, that's in, in, in one of its lowest manifestations. This is how it shows and proves itself through violence and death, through, through assault, through blood and, and mayhem, 
in this higher vibratory frequency, Mars is the the proper execution of will. You know, it is not just the, the gun being blasted off or the blindfold on in several directions. It is the aim, the steady aim, the training, the, the initiative, the skill, the sharpness of mind that we all have that we use to direct the rest of our faculties. And because the, these two planets, Mars and Pluto, which have to do with the evolution of self, you know, just put it plainly, Pluto representing evolution and transformation and Mars being the self, then without that energy being uh, coached, without it being oriented, without it being matured within a person, right, then it manifests as anger and rage. And to our society, every time the moon since that eclipse has run over the place where Mars and Pluto stood and sounded. We had a, a an assault or an attempt on someone's life or or, 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 or the death of oneself one uh, uh the the day after the eclipse on the twenty ninth of of November. All right. Um a little boy killed himself. All right? Then a month went by and when the moon ran over Mars and Pluto it gave another indication on December 14th, and on two sides of the world, similar circumstances occurred because that energy was allowed to run rapid. And it doesn't even have a cultural boundary because here in the United States, in, in Connecticut, a man walks into a school building and shoots up a bunch of kids. And Halfway across the world, in the in the continent of Asia, in the country that we now call China, <laughs> you dig? The, a man walked into a school building and slashed up a bunch of kids with a knife. Now, astrologically, Mars is violence. It is also stabbing, cutting, and slashing. It also did with fire and the firearm that he used. So it didn't make a difference whether it was a gun or a knife being used. Violence was being perpetuated. Blood was being spilt. All right? This is how that energy manifests itself when you don't take a conscious hold to it. It is left, it is left to run rapid and can be very destructive. Now, and, and then the moon went around again. And upon entering Capricorn, the first deacon, the first 10 degrees of Capricorn, by the time the moon hit 8 degrees of Capricorn again, there was another shooting that it took place in a school building. See, now, that pattern has manifested itself ceaselessly since the, since the eclipse. Now, the eclipse only lasted for a couple hours. So one hour equals one month, and it came out to be about four months when you, when you do the math, all right? 149, 46 days, something like that. You know, I mentioned it before. It's in my notes, but at any rate, so we can see for that 145, 146-day cycle, four months and some days, we're going to see every time the moon crosses over that Mars-Pluto degree that there's something Marshall-Pluto-Pluto is going to occur. Now, that's a, a, a prediction of sorts. But because we've seen it unfold four times, and, and it, it, the first hit was stronger. The first hit was the strongest, and it weakens little by little. But we can still right. see things manifesting as a result of that placement. 
that aren't even making front page news that still pertain. It isn't like on December the 14th, they didn't, they didn't play this up in the news a lot either. A man went onto a university campus and busted some shots into the ceiling. No one was shot, no one was hurt, so they didn't make a big story out of it, but it is still the same thing. Life being in danger, a crisis situation, in a school environment. Now, as it lessens, as the impact of that motion lessens, as it wanes, you know, like a car with its, with its horn going passing you, it builds up, it gets real loud when it gets close to you, and then it goes all the way out, fades out as it moves away from you. So does the impact of these events manifest themselves here on the earthly plane from the, from the celestial indication. So the events are going to be less and less and less and less and less and less more impacting and less and less more violent. But we're going to see it every time the moon enters Capricorn. The moon is in Capricorn now, okay? And it's been there for the last two days, so we have another 25 days, 25 to 26 days before we have another event that the moon gives indication of. Now, we see how that energy can manifest itself in a haphazard and dangerous way in the human nature when not guided by focused, conscious intent, then we can right now, right now, today, because we got 25 days, start working towards the next time the moon runs across that to harness that energy and use it for something a little more beneficial, man. Even individually it can be used or collectively. And... That is uh, uh, what my plea is with, with that additive that I put on it, is that everyone make a conscious decision today to direct that energy to be a bit more beneficial to us. So if, not, if you're not going to actually actively take some task on the hand that brings that energy to something more beneficial than to, to instill it in your mind or instill it in your daily routine on a mental level, you see, because these vibrations are moved by other vibrations, our very own thoughts that come from our manifest will. Right. Brother, definitely want to say thank you. As always, you know, you definitely come through and add it on to the program. Family in the archive is definitely in for a treat. Yeah, I'd like to say peace to everybody, man. And uh, you know, thanks for attending. <laughs> and the show was a bomb tonight, boy. You know, I got a refresher and a few lessons. You know, about yeah. I I'm gonna be there on Sunday. Look forward to that. Indeed, Lord. Sunday at eight eight p.m. Eastern time, right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio, your brother's network. It's called Cosmophysics Radio. So check us out. Peace. Peace. All right, family, I'm going to take one more caller. I do have some things I need to tend to. You know what I'm saying? On the night time. So tip. Caller from the 347 972. 347 972. Caller. Yes. Hey. Uh, greetings and namaste. namaste. Um, I just, I just of the program and all the information that Ross Ben uh, dropped was, boy, I have to go back and to go into my first book of the Rock of Ages. 
and and also go into the current one that I have. So it was a wonderful program, and I know from within myself that I did not evolve from any ape because if we did evolve from apes, how come apes are not evolving into humans if that's the real situation? You know, so I never brought that, you know, piece of information that they was putting out there. So if we evolve from them, how come we, you know, apes are still going around and they're not evolving into humans? It doesn't make sense to me. Hello? Yes, yes. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So I just wanted to say thank you once again for having the brother on deck and that uh, if people are interested in having uh, getting his book in the New York Tri-State area, I also am selling Ross Ben's books as well. So they can hit me up uh, on Facebook or on my website, which is www.crystals, the number four, everydayliving.com to obtain his book online or at my home office. I have them also in stock there as well. And I really don't want to add anything to what the brother was saying, only that uh, the stones that he was talking about in terms of carbon, sulfur, and uh, what was the other one again? Carbon, sulfur, copper. And copper, yeah, I do have those stones available as well, but I don't have the new one that he was talking about, new mite. New mite, right? Yeah, I have to, I have to look into that one, you know. And uh, I think you have to have like a part two with um, Ross Ben because he is a phenomenal human being, and I am so glad. No, I know that I had the opportunity to meet him and interchange with him. Indeed. I have a little one talking. A little one, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, greetings. Say hi, Sage. Say hi. Hi. She, she loves crystals. Yes, I hear the transmission. Yeah. Beautiful spirit. Yep. So all of a sudden she wants to chime in, so I just have to let her speak. Mm-hmm. Gotta let her get it out. Yeah. Yep. So give thanks for the yes, program yes. and all the best. And keep up the great Hello. work. Give thanks. We want to say thank you as well. And we'll keep you posted about Grandfather coming through. He's going to be 112. And on Marcus Garvey's Earth Day, and he really has a message to the people. I spoke with him today. He's fully charged, and he's dancing. He just came from a family reunion in North Carolina, and he's anxious and really happy that um, we want to bring him forward once again to the New York Tri-State area. Yes, keep me posted. Please do. Absolutely. And and with um, Ross Ben too, I will keep you posted on all of those uh, up and coming events as well. So all the best to 
you and the family in the chat room, in the classroom, another epic episode of uh, Nota Ledge University every time. You don't know. Give thanks. Yeah, namaste. Namaste. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> namaste. All right. Red, you got any parting words for the family? Hello. I guess not. Okay. Again, I want to say thank you to everyone who has joined us tonight for this monumental episode of KTL University, presenting Rocks of Ages, featuring phenomenal, phenomenal intellect, our brother Ross Ben. Please check his website out, rossben.com. Get the book. Do the knowledge yourself. You know what I'm saying? Infuse yourself with this information. Teach it to the babies. Give them a brand new story. Okay? Open up their imagination. Let them create. Let them see colors. You know what I'm saying? And definitely, when they look to the stars, allow them to see themselves. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.